The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning, and we're so glad to be here as well. Hello, Kenneth. Hello, Miss Veda girl. Well. Well, like I just told you, got up, went out there. Got in the vehicle, and I said, oh, there's some raindrops on the windshield. Yes, rain, rain. So then I looked around, and I said, man, is everything, no, not everything's <laughs> wet. No, no, I can actually count the raindrops. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. You know? So then immediately I'm uh, pulling up the weather on my phone, going, okay, are we going to get rain? Yeah. Is it on its way? And, of course, I don't want it to rain Saturday out because that's a lot of days, that, or that's a day that a lot of people get to work in their yard. But, you know, the way it rains around here, if it's not all day, if you just get a good shower, but, you but, can still work. We got one the other morning that oh, was that great. that was fantastic. What was that, Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. morning, which I'll take. Yeah. You know, but I'm going to warn people, because I made a little round last night. You know, we had that great rain, and we've mm-hmm. had a few rains, you know, since the mon- the drought that we yeah. had. Things are still pretty dry out there. Yeah, it was just enough to rehydrate it and save our plants. Yeah. Now we have to continue on saving their plants so ourselves. So I got to do some watering today, mm-hmm. you know. So, so that's on your list. How's yeah. the How's the yard? Do you have to do? You no, know, it's uh, you know everything's pretty green. Um, you know, I went, went out, got home yesterday afternoon, let the dog out, and I noticed that the uh, the white flowers on my limelight hydrangeas are mm-hmm. turning just a little brown. See a little yeah. few little brown petals in there, and I'm thinking. I don't think it's really quite time for that naturally. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, they're getting a little dry. And right. then the, uh, you know, one of the tropical vines, I could, you know, it's starting to droop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like, I got to get out here with the water hose. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you know, know how we forget the Veda. I mean, mm-hmm. after we get a couple good rains, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm out of that, that format Panic. I was yep. in that That's I was it. out there every other day, mm-hmm. you know, or every third day really getting things soaked, you know? Right. And then we get the rain and think we're all good for a couple of days yeah. because rain's wetter, you know? Yep. So we can buy an extra day. But you can mm-hmm. definitely in the garden center tell the difference between mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. rain water, no. how long the rain lasts for uh, keeping the soil moist versus the irrigation water. Oh, no, no comparison. It doesn't last. And now, isn't that just amazing? I don't know if it's the nitrates that are in the rain. I mean, mm-hmm. rain is just better water. I'm just it telling is. you for our plants. And, you know, like I was telling you before, you know, I was watering my landscape. I, I stopped watering my lawn mm-hmm. because I just didn't That's have time. Right. And yeah. I couldn't move sprinklers day and night. And my lawn, my Bermuda and Zoysia basically went semi-dormant. I mean, it mm-hmm. just, and I was thinking, if I lose some of this, I lose it. I can't help it. Right. Man, after that first rain about three weeks ago Sunday, everything greened up overnight. And, and the sprinkler would have never done that. You this know? is true. Not greened this up like true. that, I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah, because, you know, think about how we're going through the summer and seeing seeing the Bermuda grass and the commercial plantings mm-hmm. are on the side of the road mm-hmm. and they're brown and they're dry and you know everybody's saying I can see the summer stress and one good rain the whole everything just greens up especially if it's Bermuda now if it was like zoysia and really really stressed it, it might have some patches here and there yeah I mean but it, it everything turned out fine but like I said we can't let our guard down just yet I know because like, if you think about it, I mean, October is when we start really cooling down. Yeah, I mean, so we've got, you know, the end of this month and really mm-hmm. all of September yeah, we do. Uh, to deal with. But um, And, you know, September is one of those months that 
can have cool mornings and you know warmer days and and then cool down a little bit later but also september can be hotter than august oh yeah it can <laughs> so but i'm looking f- i'm feeling very optimistic <laughs> Because we have, um, you know, the garden centers are getting their new inventory in. Yeah. And I heard you got some, you ordered some shrubs to yeah. come in this week, didn't you? Yeah, they came in this week. And and so I got them like a week earlier or so because the August weather has been nice. Well, but like Veda, you and I say all day long that you can plant any day of the year. Okay. True. When it comes to trees and shrubs, if you do it the right way. Now, the optimal time to plant, of course, is going to be in the spring or in the fall when it's a little cooler. But don't think you can't plant now mm-hmm. if you can find what you're looking for. And that's always the issue, you know, is we're towards the end of the summer session and the fall session, quote, really hasn't begun yet. doesn't mean you have to wait another month to plant. It just mm-hmm. means that you might not find quite the selections right now that yeah. you will in a week or two. Right, especially if you're looking at for for color, like moms. Well, no, color and, you're not going to find right. at the moment. Moms yes. and pansies, violas, right. snapdragons, those kind of things. But, but even but some shrubs and things. Exactly, mm-hmm. even some of the shrubs and, and even some of the trees uh, and so forth. You're always going to find your biggest selections right. of those in the spring and, and then again in the fall. Well, you know, people start asking for four mums the last week of August. Just a few people ask, is, there we go. Because, you know, in like commercial and retail and all of that, if fall starts in September, in retail we start it in July. <laughs> but yeah. so so then when <clears throat> fall comes, you can be ready. Um, but you can't like buy a mum in July to look good in the fall. We have to wait right at that point to where they're starting to bloom and look good, and then you you get them for just your fall fun color. Yeah, yeah. And I had yeah. a lady come into the garden center the other day, and she had saw some blooming mums at one of the grocery stores here in town. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, they they looked okay. And I said, well, you can still just, you know, put it in a pot and enjoy it for now. Mm -hmm. It's not going to last as long in this hot weather, especially if you get some rains on top of it. So just kind of treat it as a, you know, as a short-term annual, if you will. You know, I remember uh, TNT Mm -hmm. out in Shelby Forest area. A long time ago, they used to deliver to all the local garden centers. And they were really great because they would get moms that was uh, first bloom, second bloom, third bloom Mm -hmm. moms. Mm -hmm. But you would know which ones you were getting because, you know, smaller growers and, and like them could. So that would be the thing to get your moms to last all the way up to a fall at time like even october or halloween you had to get three kinds the early the middle and the late blooming but now it's kind of just just moms. a mom yeah but to me a mom blooming right now is like mm. a christmas tree in july uh, exactly it just doesn't look right you know even though it's okay it's just a blooming uh-huh. perennial is yeah. all it is it just i'm so associated with thinking and mm-hmm. seeing moms blooming more when it gets a little cooler than uh-huh. it is just right now. Yeah. But I told the young lady, I said, no, I said, you can get it and put it in some pots. I said, like I said, the only drawback is it's just not going to last as long in this mm-hmm. hot weather. I mean, this is still August, by the way. We've yeah, had a little right. bit of a cool down. It's not 108 degrees in the shade. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only 92 degrees in the shade. So we're not done with hot weather no, yet. No, that makes me think of um, I'm still in an apartment, can't find where I want to go. And so I'm on the third floor, mm-hmm. and this is last year, and there was like a young couple that um, 
had moved in. So when I'm going up the stairs, you have to pass their door, and they got two pretty moms. And they're on the third, third floor, floor also, yeah. yeah. So they got two. They have two really pretty moms that are sitting outside in you know, bloom, inside, just gorgeous. So of course I see these every day. Mm. <clears throat> They never, 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 <laughs> never watered them because they're not in a container. They were just sitting in their, their and nursery. And they surely pot. didn't last as long. No, but never watered them. And guess how long they lasted? Till Easter. Wow. Because they sat out there dead. Yeah. And I had to look at them. Christmas, January, <laughs> February, all the way up to Easter, just these dead, dead brown moms. Yep. And I'm like, Why? Why are you doing this to me? It's kind of like the you can buy some of the brown colored ornamental grasses. Yeah, yeah. You know they look mm-hmm. dead, but they're still very much alive. Well, yeah. in your case, these moms were dead, dead. 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 Yeah. How do you? I I just have not done well with the ornamental grasses that you buy already in a brown fall color because they're really pretty. But people, but no. they just they just look like they're dead. Yeah. Even though the some of these ornamental grasses that are brown when you buy them, I mean, they go with some stuff that you put mm-hmm. in containers. They actually look pretty cool. Right. But, but it's always the first inclination you think is, man, that thing is dead. It's kind of like when we start seeing a lot of shrubs with yellow foliage <laughs> right. you know we still think there's something wrong with uh-huh. that plant even though it's perfectly yeah. healthy you know it's taken a while to get past that one well when we get back from the break veda i got to tell you about the the shrub that just keeps on giving oh i love shrubs like that even after you cut it down mm, nice and in the second hour, we're I'm going to talk about the wonderful 75th anniversary of KWAM wow. party that I went to. So we'll be back after these messages. Good morning. You know what, y'all? You need to give us a call. Yeah. 260-5926. Uh, we can take your questions live or you can give them to us. Uh, Mr. Philip? Yeah, I know that name. Mr. Program Director is what your name is. Philip, when you call, he'll answer. And if you don't want to be on air, he can take your information, put it on the board. Yeah, he keeps us in line. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page where Jan Childress said, Good morning, Dirt Buddies. (laughs) You know, you're so bright and, and what does it say, and bubbly this morning. Ah, Jan. She's talking to me. Oh, yeah, I figured. Jan, (laughs) Jan. Okay, Jan, at the uh, second or after seven, I'm going to tell them about you and I and KWAM party. So they went to the 75th anniversary KWAM party. Mm, 75 years. I know. Isn't that amazing? Mm. But um, so hello, Jan. And then we were were talking about the plant, the shrub that just keeps on giving. Yeah. uh, Which are even after you cut them down, Veda. (laughs) That almost sounds not like a good shrub. Well, it's just a crepe myrtle. For some reason, I started going there. And what I mean by that, I've had so many people come into the garden center and go, look, I've gotten rid of a crepe myrtle for whatever reason. Usually they've got the crepe myrtle planted by a deck or a pool. Yeah. And it's just, it's beautiful, but it's just messy. Yeah. You know, I mean, they drop in blooms all the time and they're just tired of cleaning up the mess. Okay. Which to me is still a... Beautiful crepe myrtle, I don't care where you put it, it's still a beautiful crepe myrtle. Now, I'd have a hard time probably cutting them down, but mm-hmm. some people do. 
But they're saying once they cut them down, Veda, you know what happens? These things want to re-sprout everywhere. (laughs) And they just do. They want to re-sprout from that root system that's still in the ground. And I'm not talking about just where you cut it down. Mm -hmm. They want to shoot up sprouts 10 feet this way and 10 feet behind you. Right. Yeah. So I'm bringing this up because a lot of people will and do cut down crepe myrtles for whatever reason. If you start getting those sprouts, which you will, I promise you, um, you know, either you want to use a brush killer or Roundup. And I was talking to a lady the other day, and she actually wanted to use both, or she had to use both. <laughs> the reason being uh, is in the lawn area, you know, you can go out there and spot treat with a brush killer. Not a problem. Just make a solution and just spot treat the sprouts as you see them. But she had a lot of crepe myrtle sprouts coming up in her beds also. And you don't want, with azaleas and everything else in there, and you don't want to use a brush killer, of course, in your bed area. Now, you can go in there and spot treat with Roundup because, as you know, Roundup's only going to kill what it comes in contact with, but it doesn't leach through the soil and potentially hurt things that are around like where her, you spray. Like right. Azaleas, yeah. So, but she was like, my God, I never <laughs> in a million years knew that these things would do this after I cut it down. I thought after I cut it down, it was over with. She was such a happy camper, that's, and now here they are. I told her, I said, you know what? That's the shrub that just keeps mm-hmm. on giving, I'm telling you. Oh, man. It is insanity. We have uh, one at the garden center that constantly keeps sprouting up, and they're just constantly cutting it down, the sprouts down. And I'm thinking, haven't we stressed this by now? I mean, like, it takes three if you don't, years. You're exactly right, but if you do not spray those sprouts and kill them chemically, mm-hmm. whether it's a brush killer or selectively with Roundup, they're going to continue to come up for years and years. Um, case to point, uh, my neighbor had a beautiful white blooming crepe myrtle. When they moved and another set of neighbors moved in, this is about uh, three years ago, and they wanted to put up a fence, a wooden fence, where there wasn't a fence before. Well, the crepe myrtle was right on the property line, oh. so it had to come down, okay? Oh. Nobody was going to give an inch either way. Nope, nope. So, um, <laughs> so they put a fence up, of course. And I am constantly battling crepe myrtle sprouts on my side, which I don't care. You know, I know what to do with them. Uh, But it's just, and this has been about three years ago. Mm. So, you know, if somebody, if you want to give somebody the shrub that just keeps on giving, whether it's alive or been cut down, you can't go wrong with the crepe myrtle. And I had a lady uh, in the garden center yesterday, and I don't know why she said this, but she said there's two things that should not even be on the face <laughs> of the earth. And I'm like, what? What? She said, crepe myrtle, that was one. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, no, oh. and I'll explain. And then she said, magnolias. Oh, and I'm wow. like, she said, it's nothing but a swamp tree. And, I, and Is I'm she just talking about the swamp magnolia. She's talking about magnolias in oh. general. Okay. And because. You know, it's funny how some people can think they are just horrible specimens of Mother Nature. That's true. And yeah. other people can think they're the best thing since sliced bread. Which they are. They but. are. <laughs> but think about it. You get people from up north, okay? okay. And they'll come down here to Memphis, let's say, in, in, the, in the summertime for the first time. And they'll see our crepe myrtles blooming. Mm-hmm. And they are going crazy. They have never seen them. They love them to death. Yeah. Where you go up north, you know, you see the blooming lilacs, right? Right, right. So they've got the lilacs, we've got the crepe myrtles. And I'm glad we do, because I think they're great. And then I've got, uh, I wrote some notes down about magnolias last night because of what she said yesterday. Uh, but no. Because, I mean, it's, So it's, when they come 
down from the north to the south. They're loving on the crepe myrtles. Loving but this, them. This person that lives here has been oh, here okay. forever. I got you. Has lived where you're here going. for her whole <laughs> life. She's like, but I was like, that is unbelievable that she would say those two mm-hmm. crepe myrtles and magnolias are just the, the bane ones. of her existence. I'm telling you. Yeah, you would think that as well if you had. Like a swimming pool and a water garden and then a, a zen area that you didn't need blooms in. Mm-hmm. You would hate that crepe myrtle because you're constantly, constantly cleaning. You'll say yesterday a customer was looking at a cryptomeria. Mm-hmm. And, of course, cryptomerias, uh, the nanas, are just green and pretty. Just a dwarf cryptomeria, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, the nana. Well, she started getting concerned that it was had some brown parts in it. Mm-hmm. So I got I went over and looked, and um, what it was was all the white blooms on the crepe myrtle had fallen into the shrub, and of course they had turned brown. <laughs> so then she's like, "Well, I know not to plant this under a white crepe myrtle." <laughs> yeah. and, and that's the thing, you know. I still think they get a bad rap. I mean, yeah, can they be a little messy? All blooms are eventually going to fall off any plant. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, I mean, if they're right next to a deck or right next to a pool, I mean, you're constantly cleaning up under these things and cleaning up behind them. I get that. Well, you know, it's the same thing is you don't plant a crepe myrtle by your pool, but there's plenty other places. Just like by your swimming pool, you're not planting the plants that have thorns <clears throat> and, <throat> and jagged edges. <clears throat> there's a place for those shrubs, but not around your swimming pool. And that's the thing we see with crepe myrtles. They're planted too close to houses or in shade. And, and so I can see why a person's not like Well, them. but the, one of the reasons behind that is they're so versatile, though. I mean, yes, you can true. tree form them. You can get mm-hmm. different sizes. There's some crepe myrtles that only get 12 foot tall. There's some that get mm-hmm. 35 foot tall and everywhere in between. They come in every different color of the rainbow. I mean, so th- there's so many places we can mm-hmm. use them, Veda. Now, yeah, do we uh, a lot of times put them where they really don't belong or shouldn't mm-hmm. be? Right up next to the house, yeah. like you said. Right next to the pool, right uh-huh. next to the deck. Yeah, but... We don't th- well, you know, that was one of the things as time progressed with crepe myrtles that I would ask when they were uh, wanting a crepe myrtle would be, you know, water garden, pond, you know, what's around it and all. Because you do want to think about... Because then they're calling them trash trees <laughs> because of that. Um, but see, I think it's a bad rap because I love is, them. I mean, is. I really do love them. Oh, I, mean, I do too. And you know, when I moved from Memphis like in 84, I think, I don't, I remember my grandmother had a big, huge crepe myrtle, but I didn't, you didn't see them everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I finally <clears throat> got to Texas a few years later, and that in Brazos County by Bryan College Station, they called it the crepe myrtle capital of the world. So they grow perfectly fine in They're Texas. Beautiful. So then I, I was <coughs> in love with them, and uh, hmm. you know we pruned them up, kept them looking nice and all, but and then moved back to Memphis, mm-hmm. and everybody was cutting them back. And I'm thinking, Great murder. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, what are y'all, why Why are we doing this, you know? so Because we saw the landscapers doing it. Yeah. What's wrong with you? And then where where did they learn to do it? But I'm going to beat you to this one. Crepe myrtle scale. Yeah. I just noticed some on one of the crepe myrtles at the garden center. Yeah. So I'm going to go out, and now's a good time, oh, is sure. it? Or yeah. do I need to wait? Yeah. Well, and that's another reason people were cutting crepe myrtles down six or seven years ago. You know, this new Asian scale that came in that only mm-hmm. affects our crepe myrtles. 
you know, that was kind of knock on them also. And they, you know, you, you see the little white bumps on the trunk of the tree. They start sucking the fluid mm-hmm. out of the tree and they give off that real sticky secretion called honeydew, Vade, as you know. Mm-hmm. And then anything and everything this sticky secretion gets on, you start getting that black sooty mold. So yeah. it, it, it just makes them look horrible. Mm-hmm. And I remember when, when crate myrtle bark scale first was on the scene, People were cutting their crepe myrtles down. Because it was horrible. Looking. It was horrible. They mm-hmm. didn't really know what was going on. They didn't yeah. want to deal with it. But it's really easy. All you do is get the tree and shrub insect drench, the product mm-hmm. that you just mix with water in a bucket or a watering can. Right. And all you do is go out there and pour it right around the trunk of the mm-hmm. tree. And you only have to do it no more than once a year. A lot of yeah. times we see where the residual will last up to two years. Yeah, that, I've heard that too. Well, I was walking like through the parking lot with my boss, and we were just talking and all that. And I looked and they over. They just looked over there. She sees the little white bumps and, on the yeah, trunk. Yeah, so he keeps walking and talking, and I've already run over there. Didn't say a word. It's just like, there's a bug on the plant, and I'm running over there. And he's like, "Where? what? Where'd you go? It's funny you said that because I've never had crepe myrtle bark scale on the three crepe myrtles I have in my backyard against my back fence. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one that goes out there and, and waters these things, you know, when they need it. They don't yeah. have to have a ton of water. They're very drought tolerant but i did see a few also mm-hmm. on the trunks of mine so i had you know turned the water hose on jet <laughs> and blasted them off and so i know eventually i'm gonna have to go out there and mm-hmm. drench these trees so you right. know it, yeah see i'm like you i believe because it was all of a sudden all the plantings around mm-hmm. all the buildings were really dry mm-hmm. and even though you don't see a crepe myrtle wilt you know it's getting dry as well so Possibly just a little too dry and able to scale to go, yeah, I think I'll stay here mm-hmm. a while. So, yes, even though I like to do everything organic and natural, there's a lot of things that you have to do, you know, with a little more powerful stuff. So I'm definitely using yeah. the tree and shrub drench Absolutely. because you're just pouring it around. We're not spraying it everywhere. Mixing and pouring is all you're doing. Yeah. So we'll have more things to talk about. Y'all can call us 260 Welcome back. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You know, I was looking at the Grower Talks magazine, and mm-hmm. I know you can see some of it. And, of course, they're, they're introducing all new things that are coming out this year. And it's like, okay, there's some in here that are great that I, that I, you know, want to order. But then there's some like, do we need another one? Like the Abelia. Yeah. Suntastic Peach. But it looks like... The Kaleidoscope or the Twisted Lemon or Twisted right. Lime. You know, yeah. we've got enough variegated Abelia. Exactly. And then there's the Lithodoria that we really don't plant here uh, very much. But it looks just like the others. But see, so. I kind of feel the same way, Veda, when I see a new Hosta. Yeah. Or a new clematis. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've already got 8,000 to choose from. Right, right. I mean, try to order this stuff. But then, okay, well, here's another, another echinacea. How many colors do we have now? And don't, doesn't it look like we've had that color before yeah, in stock? The, uh, that's the coneflower we're talking yeah. about. You know, initially, when you and I were growing up, it was just the old purple mm-hmm. coneflower. And then there's tomato soup, which is red. And then you've oh, got the right. yellows and there's the oranges. And yes, there's so many different colors. Now, don't get me wrong. I love them. But, you know, if I see an orange or yellow echinacea and I mm-hmm. see another yellow echinacea, 
it doesn't same. really thrill me that bad yeah. much because I've already seen them. Right. And, you know, you would have to just really painfully strategically plan. And, you know, I, some people probably do because you see great things, but you need to... Uh, like coneflowers can bloom at different times too, sure. and then the way you're matching your perennial bed and all. So, I can see a need for different things, but do we have to have that many? But then, okay, don't you love Russian sage? Oh, love it! Gorgeous. Okay, this silver picture. foliage, blue blooms. Yeah. Well, look at this one. That one's gorgeous. It's gonna. It's called what's that word? Blue sate. Yeah, blue sate. It is very. Pretty. It's got neat foliage, bigger bloom. So yeah, I'll go for that one. Yeah, but you know, also look at it this way. And this can either be good or bad. Okay, when they because they're hybridizing these plants all the time to come out mm. with new additions. Some of the hybrid, the ones that are hybridized so many different times, to me, come out as a weaker plant. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, case to point, maybe some of the heucheras, which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, the coral bells, the perennials that grow in the shade. But then again, some of them actually might come out stronger and an improvement of what yeah. we've had before. True. So yeah. we get it both ways. For example, I mean, think about some of the lavenders that we've always sold, mm-hmm. Veda. You know, there's, uh, you know, all kind of Spanish and French lavenders that we've sold for the last 30, 40 years, okay? Well, then they finally came out with one called Phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really a little more heat and drought tolerant than some of the other ones. And then uh, I made a comment uh, about a what week ago. Anyway, it, let's just say a centennial or whatever it mm-hmm. is. It's the same people that came out with Phenomenal. You know, it's supposed to be a nice, strong, uh, can take more heat type lavender. So, yeah, it works both mm-hmm. ways for us. Right. You know, some of them I think are weaker plants. Some of them I think mm-hmm. are better plants. Oh, Yeah. And well, speaking of lavender, let me see. Let me look. But when it comes that. down, There's just a like new lavender called uh, called what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say that one. It's got to be a regular name. Lavender. I don't know. It's called H I S H T I L. Nope, that must be. It's from where they're from. It's uh-huh. a Spanish lavender. A yeah. lo- love, love. Love, love. <laughs> Something like that. So, wow. It's fo- Look at its foliage. It's crazy. It looks like Dusty Miller foliage. Yeah, but so many people that have tried and failed to grow lavender, mm-hmm. they'll take any improvement of lavender to make it a little easier for us to grow. As we know, you know, it's got to have perfect drainage, Veda. Uh, but a lot of people, it's a misnomer that some people think you can't plant and grow lavender around here. You right, absolutely do, can. They? But absolutely, yes, I you have can. Great results with it. Great results with it. Um, let's go. Let's take a caller. We're going to go, Cheryl from Marion. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the garden. Well, good morning. I enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks hey, good for morning, calling. Cheryl. Now you're just bragging because mm-hmm. you're in Marion. Also, I, I've got some good friends that live over there, and I love it over there. Well, how were their tomatoes? Because um, I've been out of town this summer, but I've had somebody watering my tomatoes. But my tomatoes were terrible this summer. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't just you, Cheryl. Anytime, you know, if you think about it, think back. You know, in the spring, we had about three weeks of good weather. Remember that, Veda? You know, just those oh, three yeah, weeks of nice, just... cool mm-hmm. springtime weather, Cheryl. And then uh-huh. overnight, it got hot and dry. And the hot is really the problem. Tomatoes can grow in hot weather, 
But when these nighttime temperatures get above 70 degrees, it's hard for these tomatoes to even pollinate. You're right. You know, yeah. because the pollen becomes so thick and so heavy that it's hard to move it around. So we had these tomatoes that looked beautiful. They were blooming. The blooms were just falling off. They were never pollinating. So yeah. it's not you, Cheryl. I'm telling you, every person that I've talked to that grew tomatoes this year, which is all of them, none of them had anything positive to say about <laughs> the growing season this year with tomatoes. None of them. Yeah. It just happened that way. So it's not just you. Kenneth's exactly right. And then always, nobody waters your garden like you do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so there's a little bit of that that happens. And, you know, and Cheryl, it was just, and first of all, you know, it rained till mid-November. So we were a little late even putting some stuff in the ground. And like I said, mid-November, mid-April, I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> and, and so we were a little late, you know, putting some of this stuff in the ground, but, um, and then, oh, it seems like overnight it got just really hot and stayed hot. Yeah. And that was really the problem. Yeah, it was too hot. Is is there any hope if it's cooler? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I've been telling people don't pull the tomato plants up just yet. I mean, it's starting to cool down a little bit. We're starting to get a little bit of rain. And you definitely can get a late yield off of these tomato plants. So if you've got the room and don't mind, you know, taking care of them for another month or so, leave those things in the ground. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Should we keep fertilizing them? or? Yeah, I would add some, you know, like the plant tone or some worm castings uh, or do some foliar spray, liquid spray to the foliage or to the soil because there needs some more stuff to recover from the stress. And then our soil is probably depleted of some nutrients from all the watering. So I would definitely feed. And also, Cheryl, I was talking to a young lady the other day about what you're talking about right now. Uh, and I was telling her, you know, one thing that we might also think about doing is maybe planting uh, some varieties of tomatoes that actually have been proven to do pretty well when the mm-hmm. temperatures get that hot. You know, I've heard Celebrity does a pretty good job in really hot weather. Arkansas Traveler, which, hey, Cheryl lives in Marion. Uh, you might plant some Arkansas Travelers out there also, uh, along with the ones that you really love mm-hmm. to plant. But there are a few varieties out there, Cheryl, Cheryl, that seem to do a little better in those crazy hot summers we have than other varieties. Yes, yes. The other thing I learned is that my son, he just bought a sprinkler system and sprinkled the top, which causes disease in the leaves. They, I guess I need to get an underground water right or soaker hose yeah soaker hose is easy so you don't have to you know have a whole irrigation installed there's even um homeowner irrigations that are really easy to saw and and the irrigation heads can be set low so it it waters under foliage and right to the soil so there's some things that you can do that you don't have to go into digging up your yard and installing irrigation but you surely want to try to keep the uh, the water off that foliage cheryl no doubt about it I, I had to be gone. I had a sick relative. Otherwise, I would have been here. And, and, and they did, my kids did the best they could. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> of course yeah. they did. Yeah. yeah. It was the hot weather. It was the hot it weather. It was I one know. of the worst summers for them, and they had to help you with your yard. It wasn't just <laughs> hot. It was the extremely hot weather we had mm-hmm. and these extremely hot nights that we had. I mean, this was a summer that was, you know, yeah, we always get hot weather, Cheryl, as you know, but this was a little yeah. unusual. Very unusual. So I don't have any tomatoes to can. I yep. always oh. can yep. tomatoes, but not this year. Yep. Yeah, maybe 
maybe later. But thank you so much. Oh, you're All welcome. Right, Thanks for the call. Have a great weekend, dear. Uh, when you have to go away for a while, you realize how much work you actually do in your garden. My good friend, uh, Bland Breton, and she might even know Bland that lives over in Marion. Uh, he's grown every tomato known to man, <laughs> honestly. And I like... And I'll explain this in a second, but I like planting, you know, a few different varieties. I mentioned, you know, Celebrity, which I think does pretty good in the summertime, Arkansas Traveler. But he, his really, the, the tomato that he has kind of landed on, Beta, yeah. is the, the Whopper, okay? Okay. Uh, and he, like I said, he's grown them he's all, after I promise all you. all these he's grown, he, he's, he's going. If he was going to pick one tomato, mm-hmm. it would be the Whopper. Uh, mm-hmm. So you might put a few of those in there also, because yeah. he lives over there in Marion. Mm-hmm. The Whopper. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's Parks Whopper or Whopper. I mean, it's, it's just... Oh, there's different kinds of Whoppers. Well, you know, Parks Seeds. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, you know, they have the Parks Whopper, mm. uh, which is a great <laughs> tomato. I've had them before. It's a good table, good slicing tomato. So, but I, you know, I, I completely agree with what Cheryl was saying. It's not just her. I mean, everybody no. that we've talked to that had a garden this year... Right. I mean, they're just scratching their head. Oh, and then she didn't even get to can any. Hey, Kenneth, what do you call mixing coffee with hard liquor? <laughs> Getting ready for work. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. You can watch us on Facebook Live right Look, now. Looking at Veda right now. And you can text questions on Facebook Live, too. And if you can't listen to us the whole three hours, podcast mm-hmm. uh, com. I'll stream it live all the time, Miss Veda. You can go back and listen to the podcast, like I said, if you miss mm-hmm. it this morning. But... Um, yeah, so also one thing that we have to do with the boxwoods, because mm-hmm. there's that boxwood blight, right? Yeah. Well, there's been like three cases that we mm-hmm. know of here in Shelby County, and let's hope and pray that's all we ever hear of. Yeah. You know, boxwoods can get different problems. I mean, whether it's leaf miners and, you know, uh, different types of little... The blights. L- little, little leaf spots and so forth. Yeah. But this particular blight, this is the one that, Everybody is so afraid of Veda because, you know, it started in, I don't know where it actually started, but it started in the Carolinas that we know of, kind of moved its way across eastern uh, Tennessee, and here we are in western Tennessee, and like I said, we've already seen some of this. Mm -hmm. But if you read about boxwood blight, the problem with it is if you get it in your beautiful boxwoods, you're having to treat these boxwoods forever. It's not Mm -hmm. just like, hey, let me clip it out, let me spray, and I'm done with it. Right, right. You don't get rid of this. Keep moving through the system. Well, what um, garden centers and a lot of other people that sell shrubs are doing is the the agricultural industry has a program in place where when we receive boxwoods uh, at our garden center and y'all too i'm sure you have have to be inspected yeah you've got to send in the certificate you've got to you know that it was expected inspected before but a lot of times she does leslie comes Mm -hmm. by and checks which is wonderful because that's how we try to keep things from entering our garden. Absolutely. And Leslie does a good job of that. In fact, you, when you get boxwoods in, you can't even, you got to push them to the side, can't even sell them until she comes by and takes a look and gives them the okay. But it, it's amazing how, you know, it just seems like we try our best to keep mm-hmm. the bad pests out and the bad diseases out. But it seems like always, Veda, 
we we always get some of it. Yeah, I don't care how yeah. hard people try it because so many plants are moving around. Mm-hmm. You got landscapers out there clipping one boxwood, going to another yes. lady's house and clipping their boxwood, and they're thinking how a lot of this stuff gets spread around is by you know landscapers mm-hmm. just doing their job. Right? Yeah. It's not like it's their fault. Yeah. You know, it but just shows up because I mean it, it is it the, something's going to happen with everything almost. It I mean, seems like so we've got to. Um, have laws in place or, or regulations in place to try to keep our gardens from getting inundated with every type of thing there is out there. I mean, remember fire ants. You know, way yeah. back when, when it first started, we were trying to keep fire ants out of, uh, you know, Shelby County. Mm-hmm. And they were inspecting, you know, containers that were coming in from Alabama and everywhere else. Of course, you know, Alabama was just a haven for fire ants. Same thing with yeah. Mississippi and Georgia. Texas. Yeah. yeah. So, but eventually, you know, they got a foothold here and that's all it took and they're here mm-hmm. forever. Well, see, that's one of the things as I was going through a few things in my head and did, have we ever stopped it or controlled it like that? We prolong it, I think. And I think they did it, you know, maybe like on this boxwood blight. Uh, I don't think we'll see potentially as much of it. Let's hope because of all the uh, restrictions that are out there. But even some of these big growers out in, uh, you know, the Carolinas, like Saunders, for example, I mean, for years, uh, you know, for years, even now, if you were to go on that property, you had to put on like a little jumpsuit, some booties, uh, some gloves before you, they would even let you on the property. <laughs> I mean, that's how serious they were but in keeping, yeah, amazing. keeping this, in, this, this infection, you know, out of their stock. So I don't know. I, know. I mean, we do the do best we, do? we can, but I still think eventually we wind up getting this stuff. You I know? know, because like the emerald ash bore on all the trees. Finally, every, they were just like, well, we just got to let it do its course. We can't do anything about it. Dutch elm disease. Um, but I guess you could say the crepe myrtle bark scale, we have been able to keep that in control. We'll still get it, but it's not going to eradicate our whole crepe yes. myrtle population. Well, exactly. And some things are worse than others, but even crepe myrtle bark scale. I mean, it was a scale that we didn't have 10 years mm-hmm. ago. And now we do. So I think it's one of those where it's never going to go away. Right. We're going to have to just treat it. It's just another one of those pests that we got to take care yeah. of. And I don't care if it's flying carp down in, you know, Florida <laughs> and the snakefish and everything else. It's all these, it's all these species, typically Veda, uh, that just aren't native to mm-hmm. the United States. So then they're able to populate more and more. Mm. It's just a mate like, uh, how about even armadillos? But of course, they're just here. All this is here for the warmer weather uh, because the weather's warmer, so they're able to survive. And But you know, with fire ants, you're never going to get rid of them again, like you said. But, well, they can, they can get harm some plants and all but they're not going to kill everything like the emerald ash borer or certain no. blight. I mean there are some things that. that are worse than others and you know we're going to get our fair share of insects and disease there's no doubt about it but it seems like you know we we do find a way to um when I say eradicate them eradicate them out of our landscape you know, and that's really what we're trying to do. So, now yeah, you mentioned out, oh, and moles too. We yeah. can't work on that at all. But you mentioned boxwoods, though. Veda is mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's so many different varieties of boxwoods out there, and if you do the research, there are even some of the boxwood varieties that are more susceptible to mm-hmm. boxwood blight. There's some that are more resistant to boxwood blight. But to me, boxwood blight has not become a problem here. Such a problem. Mm-hmm in Shelby County that I'm even really concerned about it. Same, yeah. You know, now, 
one of these days it might, and I mm-hmm. hope that day doesn't come. But if it ever does, then I know there are some varieties of boxwoods out there. Yeah, like the, uh, what are they called? The Gen X generation? Yeah, the new, new gens. Gen- yeah, the new gens. That is I think it. there's independence and there's freedom. There's, you know, uh, those are more resistant to this boxwood blight. Uh, and then there's other varieties, uh, you know, on there. You can get online and read about it. So, yeah, some of these were developed or bred in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Belgium? I never would have thought of our boxwoods being hybridized in Belgium. But, you know, when, when we say the word boxwood, a lot of people, the first thing they envision is this big, rounded boxwood, the old American boxwood in the shade up there by the columns on the front of the house. Yeah, you, know, you got it. But there are so many different varieties of boxwoods, mm-hmm. as you know, whether it's, you know, the green tower that's more of a upright green mountain yeah. is more pyramidal. Yeah. And then there's the baby gems and the wintergreens and on mm-hmm. down the line. Miss Missy only gets about two foot tall mm-hmm. ever yeah. because it gets there's the midget. so mm-hmm. many different types there of boxwoods are. out there. And let's see this new one. What does it have a name yet? Uh yeah, but they're talking about as them being the new ones, but it still says that we can't guarantee that they're going to be totally disease resistant. Well, no, they can't yeah. do that. Even right. the ones that they claim are more resistant to boxwood blight in particular, they still can get it. Yeah. It's just that they're not as prone to get it as some and, of yeah, the other right. ones. And it would be things that would make your plant get the boxwood blight would be such a stressful time in traveling or, or, you know, getting to our location. But isn't it like all everything has, or where did this blight come from? Because is it going to be something that you can control or not control, but it's got to be, you can stave off with having the proper planting procedures, the proper watering, the proper Mm -hmm. placement, Mm -hmm. you know, that keeps you from, you know, like for instance, Mm -hmm. if you didn't water your boxwood or have irrigation on it this whole time, it was so hot. I mean, they would still survive pretty well, but they may, their immune system could be lower because of not being in the conditions it likes a lot, which then allows blights and things like that to kick in. Yeah, but the problem with this particular blight, though, is, you know, the the spores are really sticky, Mm -hmm. okay? And that's the thing. People are out there clipping their boxwoods, especially there again, the landscapers. Uh Being such a sticky spore, it sticks to the equipment, and mm-hmm. then they go to another person's house. I don't care how healthy you've kept your boxwoods. Yeah. You've done everything right, you know, mm-hmm. perfect. You can still get that stuff on yours, and then you've got a problem. See, that that's what I'm thinking. This is something that even great cultural practices can't, aren't going to... Can't completely prevent unless you keep people out of your yard. Yeah, it's true, y'all. We're going to go to a break real quick, and then we'll come back for the second hour. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. So glad we can join you. Give us a call, 260-5926. Mm-hmm. Um, if you missed some of this, you can check us out on the podcast. Yeah, kwmradio.com. Listen to that anytime you want. And, and you can send us a text like Brad did here mm-hmm. on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Faden. It says, 
we have three, no, they have six evergreen trees in the backyard. Three look perfectly fine, and three are browning out in several areas. Any thoughts on whether or not this may be just a need for water or some type of disease? So we both envision them as being arborvitaes by the way he's talked. Yeah, And we've seen so many problems with, I say problems, we've seen potential problems with arborvitaes, you know, this year. He there did again. quote, unquote. Yeah, quote, unquote, <laughs> because of the, uh, the crazy weather we've had. Uh, Brad, yeah, I mean, if there are just your evergreen arborvitaes, you know, that kind of grow up. Uh, Christmas tree looking. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes, it probably if they're turning brown in certain areas, it probably is a root-related problem. And that turns into what that means is a water-related issue. Yeah. Uh, either entirely too wet, absolutely no drainage, uh, are too dry. And nine times out of ten this year, it's been too dry. Even though some people do go out there somehow and overwater plants in this drought that we had. So what I would tell you to do is make sure these things stay moist, not wet. And what I mean by that is when they need watering, really soak them. Soak them well, but let them air out a little before you come back and soak them again. So water deeply, but somewhat infrequently. Use our favorite root stimulator which i took right out of your mouth not the root stimulator but the words i took out of your mouth yeah so we like to super thrive with the seaweed yeah and i'll talk about super thrive later on in the show uh there is root stimulator there's liquid seaweed uh there's fox farm root drench Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean there's so many different root stimulants out there they're all good love the super thrive Mm -hmm. like you said but make a solution of this product and you saturate that root zone once a week for at least a month, okay? Yeah, yeah. So clean them up, cut out what's dead, keep these things moist, not wet, and start using a stimulant. And hopefully with cooler temperatures this fall and winter and spring, they're going to look good and be more established by this time or by early yeah, summer next year. Right. Because like what I had been talking about that had happened to ours at the garden center with all the snow and the ice and everything, and they were next to the a warehouse. And so they all were pushed over with the snow and all, and actually uprooted like on the back side. So we were able to stand them back up. Push them back up straight. Yeah. And... Since I really didn't like them there, oh, and we were kind of talking about removing them, but so I really didn't go to huge efforts to make them survive. But they looked great and green until we got hot, and they could not take up enough moisture because partial of the roots had, had never, yeah. So they turned uh, brown and all kinds of colors um, to the dead look, and. If, though, really had wanted to save them, as soon as we stood them up, well, this is really cold, but maybe a little bit later, as soon as we stood them up, I should have definitely started doing the root mm-hmm. stimulator on it, um, probably put more compost, some mulch, you know, checked it more often, because even if half of the roots are ripped, a lot of times it can... St- did you, did these make it back, or they just no, did not? No, they did not, <coughs> because also, as everything was so well established yeah. around all the properties, we were just kind of watering like we usually do, yeah. not thinking. I wasn't that even thinking about... these needed really extra yeah, care. right, because they were over here in that corner, and then at the same time, I'm like, well, we're probably going to remove them anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, just so, let them go. But you mentioned Super Thrive, Beta. Uh, Super Thrive with kelp now. Uh, it's a highly concentrated plant growth stimulant, okay? It's not really a fertilizer. It's a mm-hmm. plant stimulant. Uh, it's got vitamins and hormones in there. 
Uh, and it's great to use on plants that have suffered from heat stress and also use it planting or transplanting. So I love, love, love that product, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. It's almost like a plant reviver, if you will. Uh, and you only use, I mean, just for typical reasons, yeah. anywhere from a quarter of a teaspoon to a teaspoon to a gallon of water. Oh, it's so little. I mean, that little seems. bottle can make up to 48 gallons yeah. of solution. Right. Okay? So when you pick up the little bottle and you look at the price, it's not like eight ninety nine because it's, uh, you know, concert, not concentrated. This is a, a bottle, but it's going to be more expensive because you're getting 48 Gallons. gallons out of it but and for brad though you know he's you know something you know for those uh needles or whatever to be turning brown uh, you know i don't think it's spider mites mm-hmm. you know i don't think it's uh, a disease could really, be bagworms because no, they would already he would see be them. Yeah. i mean i truly think without seeing it don't even don't even know what really whatever green tree it is uh, i think it's there again more of a root related problem and the best thing brad can do is to Monitor the water, make sure they're staying moist, hydrated, but not sloppy wet, Mm -hmm. uh, and start using some of these stimulants. And I'm telling you, the one that I would use would be the Super Thrive. And I said at least once a week for a month. You can do it once a week for two months. You can't Mm -hmm. overdo it. No. You can waste it, but you're not going to overdo it. Right, right. You know, there's other ones like the Kangaroots by Fox Farm. That's got, it has a different formulation and I always like to have both of them on hand. Alternate. Yeah, because I, I think that's good because since they're not the same ingredients and they both cover different uh, actions and they're both natural, then, then um, what's the word? Alternate. Yeah. yeah, and the beauty of the kangaroos is it's, uh, it's a stimulant also. It's not quite the vitamin and hormone mm-hmm. combination that the Super Thrive is. But it also has a lot of the mycorrhiza added to it, which we know over the long term is great for root development. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any and all of those type products are great you to know, use. I'm thinking now, actually, <coughs> I would actually mix those two together. You can. Come to think of it, I would seriously mix those two together and just do it every time. You can. So I didn't <coughs> have to think, well, which one did I use last? Because I'm not going to write it down. Just mix them together. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the way Veda's operating. <laughs> and also, Veda, you know, we're towards the late part of the summer, you know, fall is coming up. And I made a note to, we need to explain the difference between zoysia and fescue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because so many people just don't get the requirements to grow either one of them Hmm, you're hearing that (laughs) a lot also let's see we had barbara who called in and she was wondering how to get rid of aphids on milkweed my answer was just leave them because aphids and milkweed just go together you know it's end of the season and so i Mm. wouldn't even do anything about them you would go out there and at least with your water hose and blast them off of there i just know you couldn't Mm. just leave them well i would probably have to take my fingers and like try to get some of them off but then i would be done now if i was watering i'd probably concentrate a little more on the aphid ends you know some of that reducing the population um i'm trying to think would i actually really spray but if i was going to what would you use i would still just use a permethrin Mm -hmm. uh you know like the bonide eight uh, anything in that permethrid or pyrethroid family, whether it's uh, bonide 8, just like the number 8, which has got permethrin in it, bifenfrin, uh, you know, cyflurian. I mean, all of those products, uh, Barbara, which are just general purpose, broad spectrum insecticides will get rid of the aphids. Uh, but the thing with aphid control, you've got to spray more than one time. You can kill every adult aphid you have out there today by mm-hmm. spraying. 
or tomorrow, right? But you've got the egg and the larva coming up behind it. So you want to spray two or three times, about a week apart. I say once a week for three weeks and you'll get rid of them. And it's funny, uh, as you know, milkweed is a magnet for aphids. I mean, you're going to get them, I'm telling you. That's kind of part of it. And the only reason I don't like the aphids, even though a lot of times they, they're not killing the plant, mm-hmm. you know, they can, you know, transmit diseases and they give off that s- honeydew and you can get in and, you know, bring in the ants. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, that's why I don't want them on my milkweed. But, yeah, just going out there, Barbara, and just spraying with a generic insecticide once a week for three weeks, you'll get them. Right. Yeah, and so my milkweed would be in a perennial bed more than likely and... I'm hopefully I'm working. I am working on the system, the ecological system. Is that the right word right now? I can't think of it to have, you know, a good balance. So maybe natural predators could come in and reduce the aphids some because um, I, I, I look at them on that all the time and I'm like, nah, I'm not dealing with that. But what, what are some that we get aphids and I'm just like, i got to get those off. Because <laughs> it's like in the late part of the season, early season, yeah. like when the new growth coming out on roses and all that. And I'm seeing aphids on those. Yeah, I'm going to do something about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know you got the rest of the growing season in front of you. Right. Yeah. Then, but you can't let your guard down late in the season, young yeah, lady. Not totally right. Okay, we're going to run through a break real quick, and then we've got more to talk about. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the difference between fescue and zoysia grass. Right. We'll be right back. Good morning, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Heck yeah, girl. Okay, so now KWAM had their 75th anniversary. 75 years. Yeah, because y'all, you may not know, but the station has been around 75 years. It started in uh, West Memphis, uh, moved over to our side. But, you know, like Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Mm. a lot of these people, that was some of the first places they recorded or their records were on and all of that. So that's why we had the 75th year anniversary party. A lot of party. history behind KWM. There's a lot, yes. And also, you know, we talked about how this is all for Memphis because there's a lot of great people there. And, you know, this station's for Memphis. They've even got, okay, it's KWAM. And the, it's, we're all about Memphis. Because see, KW, we're A, all about M, Memphis. No yeah. way. Okay, when we're all about Memphis. And and he's doing that. He's bringing uh, Todd Starnes, the uh, owner of our station, is bringing more Memphis stuff like the Briarcrest football mm. game and the other football games and all. So, you know, that was why we were going. But so get the invitation and everything. And Jan and Jamie, the master gardeners, are on here. Mm-hmm. She, she texts me and says, are you going? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'll go if you go. You go if I go. Yeah. You know, that thing. And... So she's like, you wearing jeans? I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to wear jeans. Yeah. And, you know, dress up jeans kind of look. <laughs> <laughs> so I did know <laughs> that I got all ready right after work. And I get my jeans on. Sure. What's the I forgot problem? my belt. Oh, well, whatever. Well, no. And then I put my shirt on. It's too big. <laughs> Literally too big. <laughs> So I'm wearing too big for me clothes already. And so I'm like, well, Jan's going to be in jeans. You know, it's just a routine thing. Just to get together. Yeah, get together. 
So I run into Jan in the lobby and, and Jamie and we're talking and everything. Well, apparently Jan forgot her belt too because in unison, Jan and I are pulling our pants up <laughs> as we're walking through the lobby. Like, okay, we can't do this. This is not cool. So we're going up the elevator. Going, we get to the top of the elevator. Elevator doors open. And you're still beltless, right? Still beltless. Big clothes on, jeans. <laughs> Everybody's in dresses and skirts. Oh, pretty well, dresses. Yeah. Not the men. But pretty dresses. Well, but they're not working at garden centers, though. Yeah, but did they know I was? Oh. You know, okay. did they know? Don't even know who I was? So, um, yep, we're there, and everybody's dressed nice, and I'm in my big clothes. Well, my I'm jeans sure you and fit shirt. right in, Miss uh, You know, I said, you know what? I, just, I can't ruin the whole party just nope. because I'm not dressed properly. No. Let's meet people and all that great band, great view over the weather, well, great food. But then... <laughs> Then I'm, we're sitting. Me and Jan somehow ended up at the front, and of course Jan talks all the time. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm just giving her our time, Jan. Um, then they're talking about Todd Starnes talking about how he got the people at the station and this and mm-hmm. that, and he's talking about recruiting local talent, and he's yeah. talking about our show. So yeah. He says, "Veda, stand up and wave to everybody." Well, I'm in the very front. In my two big clothes, not in my nice dress, and and I'm waving. So hey. she she kind of gets up out of the chair like three yeah. inches and kind of waves. So, but at least they knew I was a gardener then. Exactly. So maybe I got a, away with it. But anyway, this was a really great thing, and I learned so much more about the station on how it is so much more about Memphis and, and Todd Starnes who. Um, as the owner of this station, is really cares. So I was glad we got to do it, even though I was kind of underdressed. But that, I was definitely the most comfortable, well, Jan and I, except for the pants thing with no belt. That's all that matters. And Jan did text, and she said it was a great evening, beautiful weather, sunset people, heartwarming patriotism and mm-hmm. food. Although I didn't see the tomato gravy for the biscuits. Right. Well, Jan's uh, famous <laughs> for her tomato gravy. So thankful that Todd Starn has a vision and kept uh, the local interest programs and personalities on the air, especially Mid-South Garden. Was yeah, she sweet to say she that. Good. And then she said there were people at the table that had uh, dirt up under their fingernails. <laughs> so you're just absolute. And their pants were falling down. So you're fine. Right, Beta. right. Yeah. And then fingernails. Yeah, they were definitely messed up. I just did not look like I should be attending a party. But, you know, Everybody was great and fun, and nobody says what. No one cared more than you did, I promise you. So it was so. I want to say to all our listeners, thank you for listening. And this is a fantastic station about Memphis and on down the line. Yeah, I wish I'd been there. I would have taken a couple Uh, pictures and used them as blackmail anyway. Oh, Uh, the difference between Veda, Fescue, and Zoysia. not the difference between Veda, Fescue, and Zoysia. <laughs> Just the difference between Fescue and Zoysia. Well, first of all, <laughs> let's say this. There are typically three grasses, predominantly what we see here in Memphis. Bermudas, Zoysias, and Fescues, okay? We all know that Bermuda needs as much sun as you can possibly give it, at least six hours of sun. And there is a Bermuda called Latitude Bermuda, which I like more I than any of them. Attitude Bermuda. No, over it's here. Latitude, oh, okay. not Attitude. <laughs> but Latitude Bermuda is developed by Oklahoma State University. You know, a lot of good grasses come out of there. It shows resistance to spring dead spot, Veda, which is really good. It's one of the most uh, cold hardy Bermudas out there on the market, and it offers really high traffic uh, tolerance. And that's Latitude Bermuda. But now, the thing with a lot of these hybrids like Latitude, 
You're going to have to put it down by side. You're not putting it down by seed, okay? Oh, this is a Bermuda. Yeah. Okay, because I spaced for a minute. But remember, Bermuda, you got to have at least six hours of sun or more. And like I said, one of the Bermudas that I really like, and there's tons of them out there, is Latitude Bermuda. And that's got to only be by side, which is very unique in Bermuda now. That's right. Okay. And then let's go to zoysias. Okay. Okay. Zoysias have got to have at least... Three to four hours of sun. Mm-hmm. A lot at least. of people they can take more, but yeah, at least. I know they love full sun, mm-hmm. but they need at least three to four hours of sun. And so many people, it's a misnomer that they say, "I've got shade, I can plant zoysia," because I heard zoysia grows in the shade. Well, it all depends on what we're talking about here. <laughs> what does shade mean when it comes yeah. to zoysia? Right? You can't plant zoysia in deep shade and expect it to last more than two years. Mm-hmm. So Bermuda, six hours of sun or more. Zoysia, at least three to four hours. And the one that I like on the zoysia is the Palisade zoysia. It's a little more shade tolerant than some of the, like, for example, than the common zoysia that we planted forever called Myers zoysia, oh, right? Yeah. Palisade zoysia looks exactly, well, almost like Myers zoysia. It has a little wider blade, but it is a little bit more shade tolerant. Uh, and it's more drought tolerant and it's low maintenance also. So it, there again, if I'm if I'm putting down zoysia Side, I'm probably going to go with Palisade because I do like the little wider blade. Yeah. Yeah. There are yeah. some new ones on the market that have very, very fine blades, almost Kinda as like, fine as like Bermuda. Yeah, okay. It's a, but it's a zoysia. Uh, but I still like the wider blade. Because beta. if I'm going to go with that thinner blade, I may as well get Bermuda for the cost, unless I'm if going you're getting for enough sun. sun. So yeah. you're right. So then we get to fescue. If we have situations where we don't have enough sun. For Bermuda, which is six hours of sun or more, mm-hmm. or zoysias, which are at least three to four hours of sun or more, and you want to grow grass, let's say a lot of times under our big trees, then unless you thin the trees out to create more light, Veda, the only grass that's going to grow there is going to be some type of fescue. And the reason I'm bringing that up, fall is the best time to plant fescue, right? Yeah. Fall and early spring are really the only two times you can get away with it. But if you go out there excuse me, and plant it this fall, you rough it up really good up under the tree, scratch it up, rough it up. You sow that seed out there. You can put a little starter fertilizer down, put a little lime down if you hadn't done that in the last two years, and then come back and lightly cover that seed. As long as you keep that seed moist, it'll be up in 10 days, two weeks' time. I mean, it comes up in no time. But it will grow in the shade where the other grasses won't grow. Yeah, you got to keep the leaves off of it. You got to keep it watered religiously in the summertime. You got to mow it a certain time. You got to mow it high and keep it yeah. cut high. I mean, there. I mean, there's restrictions, but at least you have grass growing under these trees where other grasses won't yeah. grow. Right. And, and then when you're talking about keeping the leaves off, that's like when it first starts germinating, you know. And then we're right in that window where. You need it to be cool, and you'd like to get it put in and kind of growing more before the mm. leaves get on there so you can blow the leaves That's off right. so they don't mat the thing down. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes mm. it's too hot, so we sow seeds a little later, and then the leaves are falling, and you're going to try to blow the leaves off, but then it blows the grass out of the ground. You know, those are, those are the seeds. <laughs> because you're right. You're sowing fescue in the fall when it's cooler. It's a little too hot right now. I mean, starting next month and surely in October— you know, yeah. people, will be, they'll be planting tons of fescue. It's a beautiful grass. I love it, Veda, but it is more maintenance. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. to keep it watered. And I don't care what you do in the summertime. 
you're going to lose some of that fescue. You can't do anything about that. So every fall or early spring, fall, in my opinion, being the best time, you overseed that fescue just to perpetuate it from year to year, just to keep it full yeah. from year to year. Now, this year, I can imagine people probably lost more fescue than normal. That's true. Yeah, so, and one thing that we can do to help it along, and we just remind people this now, because mm. before organics were really popular, you couldn't fertilize with anything and right. fescue in the summer. Right. But now we like to use the seaweed exactly. mixture. Exactly, we yeah. do. Spray it once a month uh, or every two weeks during the summer months with seaweed, and it really helps that fescue make it through the hot summer months. But I, but it's so... People get it in their head, and they hear that zoysia grows in the shade. And and, and I love zoysias. I love it. It's my favorite grass. It's got to have a certain amount of sun. It's a misnomer that it grows in total shade. Yeah. And so many people have made that mistake, Veda, where they put zoysia out there. They don't get enough sun to support it. And I'm telling you, a year and a half, two years down the road, it's gone. It's gone. Yes, and we did an experiment because, you know, the deeper you can get roots grown on anything, the more it's going to take up moisture, the more the roots are going to be easier to grow. We did a, a good pile of compost, you know, like a half an inch deep on one spot and then not on the other through the fescue out. The one in the compost did great. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Man, Phyllis has been playing with this. Because I have my (laughs) peanut butter sandwich. Was not quite ready. Lost time of track. Her tongue is is stuck to the top of her mouth, the roof of her mouth. Oh, my goodness. And I drank all my coffee, too. What am I going to do, Jan? Jan, you know how she comes and helps us. A sip of water for you, my dear. Thank you. Now you're going to have peanut butter lips on your cup. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that we've seen is... That I've seen, and I'm sure a lot of people out there have also, Veda, is the the way the some of the hydrangeas suffered this growing season. You know, we grow mm-hmm. these big-leafed, you know, hydrangeas that bloom pink and blue. They don't want to really be here, you know. <laughs> they really don't. I mean, it's just not really the perfect part of the world for these hydrangeas to, to thrive. But we do our best anyway. Um one thing that I've noticed, and I noticed them even at my, my house and even at my sister's house, I was over there the other day, that a lot of the foliage is crinkled looking. Oh, well, isn't it a crinkled hydrangea? You know, it's not like it's really black or burned. But, but it's, it's just not a, a crinkled hydrangea it, variety. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> but the, the leaves are crinkled, Miss Veda. <laughs> and if you go out there and make your rounds, you'll probably see that on a lot of your big leaf hydrangeas, Okay. Uh, I truly don't think it's anything to worry about because I even noticed on some of them, you've got at the top of the hydrangea, including on mine, the leaves are just, you know, just mottled and mutated and crinkled, but the new growth looks fine. So it does sound weather. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. so that's got to be, you know, hot weather and probably a lack of water on my part. Hopefully it's not this big new mite that has come to Memphis. No, so it's it's, (laughs) it's not. So if you're making your rounds out there, guys, and you're seeing, uh, you know, crinkled leaves. Now, that's different from spotted leaves. You know, we always see the brown, black spots on Mm -hmm. hydrangea leaves this time of year, and that's usually either bacterial or fungal. 
anthracnose or whatever. I mean, you can go out there and spray uh, dacanil or liquid copper, and you can control those leaf spots, okay? But this is a little different. And I really think if I go out there and make sure I keep my hydrangea hydrated uh, through the rest of the summer, mm-hmm. uh, I can probably feed it with some holly tone or plant tone, you know, just a good non-burning fertilizer. But we were also talking about those stimulants a while ago, you know, the Super Thrives, the liquid seaweeds, those type of products, the kangaroots. I'm definitely going to drench my root system also because I'm telling you, I think every bit of this that I'm seeing is from stress, and this is from heat stress. Uh, right, and so think about this. When we're having heat stress, parts of the roots are starting to dry or die off, you know, because you have your big root, and then you've got little root hairs off of that, and then you've got a little funguses off of that that takes the nutrients to the root hairs, that takes it to the big root, mm-hmm. that takes it to the plant. So you know when stuff get too dry, some of that's getting damaged, which then, when you're missing some of your roots, your plant's leaves can crinkle. Yes, like you're abs- saying. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the sun-loving hydrangeas, the little limes, the limelights, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the bobos, the white weddings, they're all fine. Yeah. I mean, because they can take that heat in the sun. I mean, they mm-hmm. love it. But I'm telling you, it's the big leaf, the old pinks and blues that I see um, – potentially suffered yeah. more than all the other ones. And I've seen it, not like I said, not only in my landscape, I've seen it in other places also, the same symptom. And I'd, I'd, I've seen it before, but not to the extent, Veda, that I'm seeing it now. Yeah, I, when you're talking about it, I, I can recall seeing it one leaf. time in my life, but I haven't noticed because I guess, thank goodness, it's not at the garden center. And I hadn't been around a lot. Hey, when we go out at the studio, we're going to have to look right over next door and look at their hydrangeas. Yeah. They have a beautiful landscape over there. Wouldn't surprise me if you saw it over there also, but I really yeah. think... You know, I'm going to do anything and everything I can to stimulate good root growth uh, and to just get them as healthy as I possibly can before they flush back out next spring. What about, yeah, because anything that's stressed, I would definitely be doing root stimulator and organic products or compost, Mm -hmm. really compost right now. Uh, oh, and speaking of fertilizing and all that, you know how I always talk about, I love worm castings on my house plants mm-hmm. and stuff. Well, there was this, uh, what am I trying to say? There's how, I'm like, no, okay, at the garden center, we don't have house plants. It's been there a year. Yeah. But, okay, so, and, you know, maybe some that's just been there a couple of months. Oh, sure. Long, you know, I don't want to. Or even some that's been there six months are so pretty you're just trying not to sell them, you know. But or some house pests that might come in on day one looking, mm-hmm. you know, Kinda, worn uh, out and yeah, used. Yeah. yeah. So I put worm castings around some of those too. Cause, you know, I already had the hydra, uh, the hibiscus experience. And they were fantastic. So I haven't. This was a Congo Rojo, Rojo Congo, philodendron. And it just kind of was hanging out. You know, I'm like, huh, come on, just quit hanging out and do something. Put the worm castings on it. And actually, it had some few spots. So I drenched it with neem in case there was a fungus in the right. soil. And within like a week, I had lots of good I mean, you're talking growth. about, but not adding fertilizer at all, mm-hmm. just it's, the castings. Yeah. And you don't put just a ton of castings right. in there, just a, you know, just a light layer exactly. on top of the soil that you already have, correct? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to really build it up on the stem yeah, of the right. house plant that's already in the pot. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking like just a little scooper. You know those ones that you get from Bonide? Yeah. What is that, two ounces or four yeah, ounces? Yeah, I think it's two ounces. So then probably, 
yeah, maybe about two ounces. And sometimes I don't even get it sprinkled all around. I'm just like, I can only can do is just dump some right here. Well, of all the compost mm-hmm. out there, that's a that's one of the most potent. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, compost that you can buy. It's got it's just chalked full mm-hmm. of all these minerals and nutrients and microbes yeah. and all that stuff in their veda. Right. And there's still we still need to have all those composts because you don't want to just amend your soil with 100% worm castings mm-hmm. one because it would be very expensive. But two, that you know, you're not going to plant 100% worm castings. You shouldn't plant 100% any compost. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, but this plant, what happened? I mean, when you used that product I though, just the I mean, it had been sitting there, just sitting there, pretty foliage and all, but just doing nothing. And then when I put it on there, I've got some nice, beautiful three or four big leaves. This was it. This pot, this house plants in a ten-gallon pot. Yeah, pretty big pot. Yeah, pretty big pot. And it just took a little bit because you know we're selling things so quick and all. You don't really think about having to fertilize mm-hmm. because because the turnaround is so fast right, on them. Yeah, yeah. but then. When you start doing it a little more, the things are just flushing like crazy. Now, what do you do about plants, Veda, that you've had like on your balcony, your house plants? But at, at a point, they need to be repotted, okay? Yeah. They just outgrow the pot that they're in. Invariably, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, first you use a good high quality potting soil, but are you always, always, always adding a couple handfuls of the earthworm castings in that mix, mm-hmm. and then when you get it repotted, you can sprinkle just a little bit on top yeah. also if you want to. I mean, you're not right. going to skimp on the earthworm castings when you're repotting your house plants. Right, exactly. The <laughs> um, indoor house plant mix that I use does have worm castings mixed in with it. Mm-hmm. Not a bunch, but just mm-hmm. some to create the whole blend. But I do I always have to throw a little extra in there. Because, you know, we're in the south and we water so much and we have harsh growing conditions anyway. So that's why we have to boost And we're just up. leaching everything out of the soil mm-hmm. that's in those containers. Right. And then our plants need more and more. You know, it's like if you're a runner. So you have a person that runs a marathon and then you have a person just has average exercising. Yeah. They're going to have to eat totally different mm-hmm. to endure these this different stress marathon yeah. over the 100 yard day right so our plants in memphis have to survive a marathon that maybe they don't have to survive in our cooler climates because mm-hmm. you can definitely i can look in pictures of a beautiful garden and you can tell that that is probably not in a hot, hot southern area because they're just so much more flush and there's so much more color <clears throat> and even if i use a good uh which you have to. Good potting soil, of course, that's where it all starts. Add some castings to it. You know, I still want to feed my plants. And whether you're using something organic like plant tone or whether you're using something synthetic like Osmocote mm-hmm. or whether you're getting a liquid like Grow Big or Tiger Bloom, I mean, any and all of those products are great to use. There's nothing wrong with any of them. And that's what kind of puzzles some people. They'll come into the garden center and say, I want the best liquid plant food for my house plants. Well, which one is the best liquid plant food? Right. Is it organic, you know, the big bloom from Mm -hmm. Fox Farm? Veda, is it the liquid seaweed, Mm -hmm. you know, or is it the tiger bloom or the grow big? You know, there's so many good, good products out there. And I tell them it's not really one that's better than another. It's just a, they're different products. They all do the same thing. If you're just vigilant and use them like you should, either way, you're fine. Well, it's also, say, each organic product has a lot of uh, nutrients, micronutrients, and all of that. 
And even though they're the same, they're still got some variances, sort of like when we're supposed to eat a um, well-rounded meal. <laughs> you know, this time it could be pears, next time it could be oranges, mm-hmm. you know, that goes with your, your food. You're not eating the exact same thing because then you're always getting the exact same m- nutrients. So when you're kind of revolving around different mm-hmm. ones and you're pretty much <clears throat> covering the whole bases and you don't have to do all these soil tests and, yeah. and things like that. Well, the biggest thing is I tell people, especially if you're feeding anything in a container, if you're, you, you just want to be really careful and not ever use a burning type fertilizer. You know, whether it's a 61212, which people mm-hmm. have done, a triple 13, which people have done, the old commercial type fertilizers, right? Uh, you know, ammonium nitrate, nitrate of soda, those type of products that have a burning type nitrogen, you got to be extremely careful with because you can burn plants up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if you're you using can. a lot of these water solubles or some of these organics or even some of these non burning synthetics, you're fine. And whether it's granulated or liquid, the only really difference is the liquids work really fast. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty yeah, of them. Which we want. To yeah, happen. but they don't last as long as, say, Osmocote wood mm-hmm. or plant tone yeah. wood. The yeah. granulated versions take longer to break down, they last longer. The liquid versions break down really fast and work really fast, but don't last as long. So it just <laughs> depends on which way you want to go. It doesn't matter. Either way, you're perfectly yeah. fine. Because, like, for that reason that you said, a lot of times I would put out plant tone and then immediately put the liquid over you it. You can. So I can quicken yeah. the pace of it when I was first starting, like a new bed or something like that. But then when you start getting the cycle going, I don't worry so much about giving it a quick yeah. uh, quick start. So y'all get your questions together. Give us a call or put them on Facebook Live. Or you can leave them with Philip, who answers our phone and keeps us in order over here. He tells me when to go, when to stop, and he makes faces like, no. <laughs> but also, when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about some of the two plants that I really love as far as fall interest. Uh, at mm-hmm. some point this morning, we're going to talk about, because the lady talked about how she hates magnolias. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about some of the really pretty magnolias here in the Mid-South. And of course, you know, we've talked about this before, but they are out there in full force. The dang little flying mosquitoes. We got to talk about those. You know, how do we enjoy the outdoors late summer, early fall without getting carried away by mosquitoes? That's right. And we have another hour after this too. We'll talk about more shrubs and other things and we'll be right back. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. Watch us on Facebook Live. Yep. You can also listen to our podcast and streamus. Yeah, stream us too. Okay. All right, mosquito control, baby. Golly, I just, they don't, thank the Lord, they don't affect me like they do Mm -hmm. other people that I know, including my wife and my mother. They they just, they almost can't go outside. You know, I mean, it's, it's that bad. But, uh, you know, we as homeowners, you're never, ever going to get rid of all the mosquitoes that you have in your landscape. You just can't do it. But you can hopefully keep them down to acceptable levels, okay? And one of the things that I really like to do is go out there. I say I like to do. I think one of the ways to, to reduce the population, maybe better than any other way, is to go out there and spray. Now, I hate to spray Veda unless I have to, because mm-hmm. I don't want to kill beneficials and everything else. But when it comes to mosquitoes, you almost have to spray the bed, the mulch, right. spray the shrubs, 
Yeah. Sprayed the fence, sprayed yeah. the wall, <laughs> the lawn. The lawn. I mean, really, yeah. you almost just have mm-hmm. to spray everything. Now, I know you can put granulated repellents out there. I know you can put, you know, the burning, uh, you know, candles. And I know there's these other devices you can put out there that give off a smell. But I really think as far as killing and repelling um, is the best way to go. And I like to use the permethrin. Now, and, I, and you hear me talk about permethrin all the time. Permethrin is just a synthetic pyrethroid. It's just a very broad-spectrum insecticide is all it is. Extremely safe to use. You can use it on, you know, ornamentals and vegetables and plants and everything in between. But the beauty of it, Veda, and it does a good job on mosquitoes because it kills mosquitoes and also repels insects. It does both. And one application can last up to four weeks, believe it or not. So if you're one of those people where you just can't go outside and enjoy it at all because of the mosquitoes, and I don't know why they're so bad. It seems like we didn't have any rain at all this whole year. Yeah. And then I guess those last couple of rains we've had, they've exploded their population. So get out there. There's uh, anything that has permethrin, and it's not the only product, but I like that product, P-E-R-M-E-T-H-R-I-N, permethrin. But uh, you can buy concentrates, you can buy ready-to-sprays, but go out there and give everything a good spray in. Come back in about 10 days, two weeks, even though it can last up to four weeks, and spray it again. You know, Veda, and then maybe you can get out there and enjoy the outdoors without just being carried away by these mosquitoes. Uh, Someone had called at the garden center and wanted to know what he could plant in his yard, like as a lawn, to Mm. repel mosquitoes. I was like, yeah, he was really wishfully thinking. I mean, lemongrass, but that's not going to be a pretty lawn. No, and it's not going to last through the winter. So can you imagine how much money you would spend doing a little for It could be a nice ornamental grass. I mean, like on a patio, what if you did like a container of ornamental grass? Uh, I mean, the lemongrass. uh, lemongrass, And of course, the citronella, the the mosquito plant. Uh, Some peppermint, spearmint. You know, there's a whole lot of things. And... And then so then after you've got it all planted, then you got to go outside and like rub each leaf to make the smell admit stronger. Yeah. And then sit down and you can enjoy it and it could repel some mosquitoes. Well, but also you can buy a mosquito beater, which is a granulated product that is completely organic. Okay. It's got, you know, like lemon oil and rosemary oil and cinnamon oil. I mean, all these different natural products that you sprinkle around the patio And I like using that product if you're having a function. If you're having Mm -hmm. people over for a dinner or whatever, and you know you're going to be sitting outside. Uh, Other than spraying with the permethrins, you can surely go out there and sprinkle, but they did these repellents around the deck or around the patio uh, to not only, you've done your spraying to kill them, but you can use this as a repellent. Mm -hmm. And kind of like the the two-step we always talk about, there's always two ways to do one thing, right? Yeah. So Two it, ways to skin a cat. Exactly. So it helps, and, and it's completely safe to use around me, you, the dog, the cat, and everybody else. But it's the, it's the organic uh, mosquito beater is what it is that uh, helps repel them, you yeah. know? So that um, Jan was telling me one time, and she just reminded me of it about— we didn't get to ever really finish the conversation. She was telling me something about where a lady has uh, types of fish bowls, fish ponds, whatever, around her house. Mm-hmm. So all those 
uh, fish would eat any mosquito larva. larva right. So, yeah, no, so she you, had fish in there, koi yeah. fish or whatever. You know, kind of think about like we put the Japanese beetle traps out. For the Japanese beetles. Yeah, and we um, do them farther out. So she's creating water features which attract you gotta all have, of gotta them. have water to have and mosquitoes. And then she's got the <clears throat> fish uh, that eat <clears throat> them, or she can use the mosquito dunks. Or the bits, mosquito bits, yeah. or mosquito dunks. Right. So does she attract them all to the water and then kills them before they turn into insects? Uh, I don't so, think that know, theory is going to. I'm going to have to watch her uh, video, I think. But Jan was telling me about it, and we were kind of talking through it too, trying to figure out. And then, really quickly. Earlier in the first hour, you and I were talking about all the new plants and, and do you really need another hosta? Do you really need another color? But now, and I don't want to offend people that love mm-hmm. hostas because I love them just as much as anybody else. Because <laughs> I'm, somebody's going to, somebody, I'm going to get a, some text from people I that know. say, yes, we always need another hosta yeah. on the market. Which I get that too. I do too. I but think I'm talking as a buyer. How, which, how, how many, which hosta are you going to want this I mean, year? Which, out of the which 500. Which 30 do I order yeah. out of the 3,000. Yeah, exactly. So now the petunias. I just, we're going through the grower magazine. This petunia, I'm like, okay, now it's a new color and I got to have this one. So I sound like a hosta person. I sound like a perennial person. This petunia is purple with yellow edges. Yeah, remember, what was the one that was similar to that? Was it uh, pistachio? Oh, yeah. See, I haven't seen that lately. Yeah, uh, I think Proven Winter had that one. Yeah, pistachio and this one And it was a type of petunia. And it was beautiful. I love it because it was pink with green edges. Yes, yes. Yeah, and this one is called New Blueberries and Cream. And it's uh, dark, dark purple with yellow edges. But then here's one called New Blue Vein, but it looks just like... And the new dark blue, that looks just like... <laughs> they look like the ones we've sold for the last yeah. 300 years. Right, but this one, new blueberries and cream. Yeah. Love it. And we'll be right back. <laughs> the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. Um, I'm Veda with Palladio. Yeah, I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926 and go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page. If you want to shoot us a text like Jan did, she said, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Think mm-hmm. about that. Right. Got to have wonder. the egg to get the chicken. Yeah. Got to have the chicken to get the egg. <laughs> which came first, the mosquito or the larva? Right. <laughs> I mean, how does that work? You no, know, I guess it would always have to be the first stage comes first uh, yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't the larva be one of the first stages i guess but then know, how do you get the larva without the mosquito that's right all right anyway um some beautiful fall interest Veda. Mm, man and one album that you stuff. have got to have in your landscape i don't care if you have to dig another shrub <laughs> up throw it in, over the fence and plant this one yeah is calicarpa yeah or beauty berry and you know, yes, there are there are different varieties out there. There's you know some of the Asian varieties and some of the American varieties, but your your typical beauty berry will get what two to four foot tall, depending on the variety. Three to four foot wide. They need more sun than shade. 
they bloom on new wood, and, and the blooms are somewhat inconspicuous. When they're not yeah. even really out there for the bloom, right. but just knowing that they bloom on new wood, which means you can go out there in the spring and cut these things back every year to six to eight, ten inches if you want. And a lot of people do that to calicarpa to keep them compact, and it also promotes more bloom. But calicarpa, during the growing season, you'll walk by this thing a thousand times and never give it a second look, okay? (laughs) Yeah. But in the fall, even starting now, when these things start to put on the berries, that's when people stop and take notice, Ms. Veda, and they go, what in the heck is this thing, and I've got to have them. Mm -hmm. And that is the, the beauty berry. And you said you just got some in the other day also. Yeah, they're called glam. They're a hybrid between two kinds. and Still have those beautiful purple yeah, berries that just like line a, the limbs of these things. And the other thing that's really cool is the foliage is darker. And this has twice the amount of berries as your traditional beauty mm-hmm. berry. And so it's got um, just a... It's, I mean, I'm like, now which one do I choose so I want all of them? But this one called Glam is amazing. But isn't it just how it's funny how you can just walk past this thing and never even give it a second thought until this time of year when it really starts showing its its beauty, I'm telling you. And the other shrub that I really love for fall interest is the, the old burning bush. Oh, yeah. The, the Euonymus lotus, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and it's the one, same thing, just old green foliage, mm-hmm. just a shrub out there doing its thing, leaving everybody alone until this time of year when it starts to cool off and every one of those leaves turn just brilliant red mm-hmm. uh, before they fall off later on. But I'm telling you, it's just, it's amazing what kind of, and, and yes, I mean, we all love fall foliage. Yeah. You know, whether it's dogwoods and crepe myrtles and, you know, black gums and all the way on down the line. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of plants, trees, and shrubs that would show pretty fall color. But, you know, the burning bush, that blood red, you know, in in the fall and those calicarpa with those violet uh-huh. berries on there. I'm telling you, there's you, nothing like them. You've got to have that. And then we remember burning bushes as the ones that can get 10 feet tall right. and huge, but then now there's a size down and then another size yeah, down. Yeah, there's the dwarf varieties that are out there yeah. also. And then a lot of people forever in a day when they planted just the old-fashioned Euonymus allotus, the burning mm-hmm. bush, that will get, you know, 8 to 10 foot tall and 6 foot wide, you know, you, they would prune them every year. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can oh, prune the word. heck out of these things, they're, and they're absolutely fine. Oh. But I remember um, when I was— at the University of Memphis over there, they had one right there uh, on on Central Avenue, Veda. Uh, and it was just one. And it was six foot wide and, you know, six to seven foot tall. But I remember every fall, that thing was like a just a a, a car stopper. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. And and that just, I remember that even to this day that, you know, out of all the fall plants out there, I mean, that to me is one of the the most attractive ones or the most eye-catching, I should say. And you can plant them in a mass. You can plant them individually. Some people put them in pots. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing with the calicarpas. You know, I still like on the calicarpa to plant more than one variety or, or plant more than one plant. Yeah. I yeah. think you get better cross-pollination. Uh, I I just like, I guess I like to see a mass of these berries, you know. Yeah. But just remember those two, guys. Beauty berry, which is calicarpa. Yeah. 
and burning bush. If you want some fall color, you can't go wrong. Right. Because like in the middle of the summer, I start seeing the little blooms coming on to the beauty berries. But then you're not. I'm only seeing them because I'm looking to make sure it's blooming to know I'm going to have you gotta berries. you got to have the bloom to get the berry. But, yeah. but there, there again, I mean, we plant like azaleas and roses for the bloom, okay? Right. You don't plant calicarpa for the bloom. You plant it for the berries. And that's why when they do bloom, even think about sweet olive, you know, as, as fragrant as they are, oh, yeah. osmanthus. The blooms are not... They're just little bitty, mm-hmm. inconspicuous little things. To the point that where it smells so wonderful, you're looking around trying to find... To find this huge blooming thing right. because how could this fragrance come from these little yeah. bitty blooms that we're seeing right. here? You really, y'all really need to plant one of those too because you can actually... If you don't have a wide space for it, as it grows, you can prune the bottom up of them. And I've seen them shaped as trees, small trees, and it just smells wonderful. About now, or I'm well, trying to remember, when was I really smelling them really good? One in the time. summer, yeah, in it was early late summer, summer, but yeah. even some, depending on the variety, but... Yeah, I mean, we plant some things for fragrance, Veda, and if you ever do that, then yes, honeysuckle and osmanthus, which is the sweet olive. I mean, to me, there's nothing out there in the landscape that smells quite as lemony sweet as sweet olive. Mm-hmm. Oh, mean, don't we love the smell of privet blooms? And gardenias. <laughs> <laughs> privet. <laughs> privet blooms. Oh, that's probably one of the are the Are the pear, you know, the blooms of a pear tree oh, yeah. that will run you out of the yard right. and smell so nasty, you know? <gasps> Oh, my goodness. Can you? I've had people come in and say, you know, like the ginkgos, there's male and females, and one of them just, just can't even stand the smell. And if you're one of the ones that just by chance get something that was uh, You don't want the female ginkgo. Wrong, yeah. yeah th- then you've got to deal with that smell. And then in your the landscape. nasty fruit that you get later on. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, but ginkgos in general are fantastically beautiful, wonderful trees. And we make sure we, which one is it? The, the, female the female has the fruit. Yeah. But, so. but then even gardenias. I mean, they, I mean we, there are so many, so many plants out there we plant because of the, mm-hmm. the fragrance. There's no yeah. doubt about it. But I'm telling you, there's so, so many plants out there that we plant because of the beautiful fall interest. Uh, and those two in particular, and there are many more, don't get me wrong, but those two, in my opinion, are the two uh-huh. that I really love. Right. But now, you do like barberries, too. I just, I'm telling you, there's so many, when you and I, we talked about this before, when you and I were growing up, there was the, just the, the pygmy or the crimson barberry. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that that's the one that we have seen a million times, but there's so many others out there, you know, the orange rocket and the, uh, the the one that y'all have also on the barberry, but. Well, see, this one's pretty, but I forgot to take the the name of it. It's kind of a new one where the foliage is red, orange, burgundy. Yes, well, that's Bur- kind of like then, the orange yeah, rocket. Yeah, and then some yellow around, and it's a smaller, rounder one, but the orange rocket we have, and it's so gorgeous. I right? love, I because love barberries. It's got... A lot of people think they don't want them because they lose their leaves in the winter. And they got little bitty thorns on them, little stickers on them. But it's not a horrible thing. First off, it takes them a while to lose their leaves. And then when it's really, really cold, you know, you're really not caring. We're not going to have every shrub in our landscape an evergreen. Yeah, a lot of people want to, but... Now that's kind of changing. We're looking for more colors and textures and more interest to our garden besides just looking out and seeing evergreen, which is great when it's snowing or winter. And I'm glad you mentioned barberry, Veda, because not only are barberry pretty in the fall, Mm -hmm. you know, they're really that color 
year. I mean, until they drop their leaves from spring Mm -hmm. to fall. Yeah. And man, I don't think I've ever seen an insect on it. No. It can go, it can take some drought. It, yeah, so y'all should check out a barberry because they're good for a border shrub. They're good for an accent. They're good for, like, the tall upright ones are great for containers. I love them. I, I'm telling yeah. you, it's one of my favorite, all-time favorite shrubs. It and is. if you can't grow a barberry, then you just need to move into a zero lot line or something. Because yeah. so, they're so easy to grow. That's true. So, like, for instance, we're talking about fall. Get you some barberries. Get the beauty berries. Mm-hmm. You know, there's even all the the three-season blooming encores, and some are blooming now, but we'll go over more of that. In a few minutes, we're going to run off, and y'all can give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You know, you can look at a field of dandelions and see weeds, or you can look at a field of dandelions and see wishes. (laughs) Uh, I think I'm, well, you got a good point there. And of course we can eat them too, so. But I still think I'm going to see weeds, and I know you'll see wishes. (laughs) I see food. I didn't think about the wish part. I can never blow off the whole thing on the dandelion, so I'm not even going to try because does that ruin your wish if you can't blow all of the little seed heads off? No, I mean. But I feel like it, so I'm just not going to. I'm just going to eat them. It's kind of like kind of blowing off, blowing out all the candles as you get older on your cake. Right. You, you know, know you how this, many germs that leaves on your cake? I don't care, cake. but you, you know, you got this bigger cake and you got, you know, 80 candles up right. there. And you respect it. And you're 80. Yeah. And, and you you're can, supposed to blow them you all You blow out. out two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Beta, so, one of the, um, you know, I told you in the first hour, I was talking to a lady at the garden center mm-hmm. and she said two of the things that she can't even understand why are are even existing on Mother Earth, okay? <laughs> or the crepe myrtles and the magnolias. And I was like, well, hang on. You know, crepe myrtles can be really great specimens, and yeah. magnolias can surely be really great mm-hmm. specimens. But I think a lot of people, when they say the word magnolia, they're thinking of the old southern magnolia. You know, that gets 30, 40, 50 foot tall and 30 foot wide and has roots everywhere, right? Yeah, you do. You instantly think of that. But there's also the Alta, the Mm -hmm. AOTA, the Little Jim, and the Teddy Bear. You know? Yeah. It doesn't have to, if, when, there again, because even when I think of uh, magnolias, I think of the Southern Magnolia. Mm -hmm. Because there again, that's what I grew up with. But these other varieties of magnolias are absolutely wonderful specimens. You know, the Alta, the A-L-T-A, it grows more columnar. I mean, it's more of a vertical type uh, magnolia that you can grow in smaller places. And it's not hugely wide. No, that's what I mean. It's growing more, you know, more up. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think the Alta, I had it written down here, gets about 20 foot tall. Uh, it might take 10 years to do that, but right. only gets about nine foot wide. See, that's fantastic. And it, it would, it's perfect, you know, as a kind of as a, a magnolia that you can put up against a fence or against yeah. a wall. It doesn't take up, you know, a, a huge amount of area like these southern magnolias do. It's evergreen. It can block the view between Beautiful buildings. blooms. Absolutely, Veda. Beautiful blooms. Uh, you know, the white blooms, very fragrant. So ALTA, the Alta Columnar Growth Habit uh, on that magnolia is wonderful. Another one is the, the Little Jim 
Magnolia. Yeah. You know, a little gem magnolia is still going to get about, uh, what, 15 to 20 foot tall. Now, it's going to take 20 years to do it. It's only going to get 8 to 10 foot wide. And it's a really slow grower. And that's why a lot of people will either will put those in containers or they'll put it in their, um, in their landscape. But it's, all, it's also more of a pyramidal-shaped um, gar- uh, magnolia. Uh, and then there's the teddy bear. Right. Okay? Yeah. It's also a dwarf type. It has all the charm of the regular southern magnolia, mm-hmm. but in a dwarf size. Okay? And to me, the, the big difference between the teddy bear and the little gem, the little gem magnolia, as you know, Veda, has more of a elongated leaf on it. Right. And the yeah. teddy bear has more of a kind of a rounded Maybe like an ear of a teddy yeah, bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. More of a rounded leaf. But it doesn't have to be a southern magnolia to enjoy uh, the beautiful attributes of magnolias. And those are my top three, though. The little gem, uh, the teddy bear, and the altar because of the way they grow. You know, out of all this talking about the, about the magnolias and everything, you know what the only thing was I was thinking or why are teddy bears called teddy bears? <laughs> you know? Don't and know. And so, like, There's a reason the teddy bear it. tree is cute as a teddy bear <clears throat> that you bring home to your daughter that's got the cute ears. Is there really a teddy bear? I'm not sure. Species? <laughs> let me say this, and I know we got Jamie, the master gardener, but let me say this also, Veda. Uh, if you are, and, and so many people do have the southern magnolia. I'm not knocking the southern magnolia. It's just that they do get much bigger mm-hmm. than these three that I was just talking about. But I've also seen people go out there, in my opinion, and make the mistake of cutting up the limbs on a southern magnolia. You know, if you just leave them alone, you know how the limbs just kind of grow down yeah. to the ground? So, therefore, you don't see all the leaves that are up under the magnolia, and you don't see all these roots that are under the southern magnolia. Okay, so I would never recommend unless you're going to create a bed up under Mm -hmm. there. And the only thing that's going to grow under a magnolia is going to be monkey grass. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's why I just I I think people are making a mistake when they go in there and they cut up the bottom limbs on these southern magnolias for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden they're seeing all of these roots and everything down there. And they're like, okay, what am I going to put under this thing? Yeah, You can always put mulch up under there Mm -hmm. or. But nothing cover. grows under a magnolia. No. That the, um, like the teddy bears and the D.D. Blanchers and all that, you can get away with growing stuff a little. Because, like, Absolutely you we can. did one on Mom's patio <laughs> right in the corner. The patio is not humongous. She was just incredibly good at, at landscaping small places. And then we had right beside the magnolia a water garden. It's in a water garden tank. Right. Oh, but, you know, a good size. And as the magnolia grew, we took the bottom limbs off of course. until it got above the fence. So that way, you know, you wouldn't be running into them. But then when we would clean the pond, the uh, pond water, we would water the magnolia with. So it made it grow twice as fast. Yeah. And I don't mind pruning out and thinning out and even cutting up the bottom limbs on those, on those type yeah. of magnolias, just not the big southern magnolia. And I just mm-hmm. wanted people to be aware. After what this young lady said yesterday about yeah. crepe myrtles and magnolias, I'm like, Hang on, there are some really good specimens yeah. of magnolias out there. Right, because those southern magnolias, oh my goodness, like uh, Randy Moskowitz had a, almost like you could call it a magnolia grove. Yeah. But 
you know how the Southerns get tall and then a limb will go down and it'll yeah. root and it'll yeah. come back up. And it was like this mysterious little Almost mystical person yeah. fairy garden, yeah. you know, and, and it was just a fun place to be. There was nothing planted in that section yeah. because there'd be no way you could grow something there. But it was like a bench and a bird bath and some container gardens yeah. and all of that. So that's the only way you can get rid of un- and I don't mind, get away with it. Yeah, and I don't mind growing the big southern magnolias if I've got a good bit of area or enough room for it. But I do love these other more compact, more dwarf-type varieties. Well, you, like I said, you still get all the attributes of a mm-hmm. magnolia. You're just not taking up the whole landscape to grow yeah. one. Yeah, we just got magnolias in, and they're so beautiful. And you're thinking, got to have that southern tree. Well, it's, I mean, it's part of the South. Mm-hmm. You know, it I is. mean, a, a, a magnolia. In fact, the, the state tree <laughs> in Louisiana and Mississippi is the magnolia. Right, right. So we're in the South. We have to have a magnolia. Hey, let's go to Jamie, the master gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, Jamie, good morning to you. How are you, sir? We're doing great, buddy. Yeah, Jamie had to go with uh, Jan and I to keep us in order. He went to the 75th anniversary Mm -hmm. of KWAM to watch after y'all two. Right, right. Okay, I got you, Jamie. I'm sorry you had to do that, and I hope that you... uh, (laughs) Mr. Mabry, anytime you can't make a a social event like that, I'll be happy to escort the prettiest two girls (laughs) in town. Thank you, Jamie. (laughs) So there you go, Ken. Uh, it, was a, it was a chore, but I, I was up to it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, I wanted to let you know there's probably anything no more pure white than that Southern Magnolia Bloom. You know, and that is, uh, Jamie, and I'm telling you, I mean, you know, true Southerners, when they see that Magnolia Bloom, and a lot of people cut them and put them inside and have them floating in water, whatever, it, it is one of the prettiest blooms out there. And there's some that get, you know, some of those blooms get 10 inches across, 10 inches wide, and have that wonderful fragrance. And I'm with you, Jamie, when she said that, listen, she said (laughs) the two things that shouldn't exist were crepe myrtles and magnolias. She didn't even want them on the face of the earth, okay? And that's (laughs) why I was like, well, hang on a minute. You know, these, there's some good attributes to both of these plants. There's one, he's talking about trimming them, too. There's one at Davies Manor that has let grow as you were talking about, without any trimming at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as deer hide up under that thing. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is so big. And But anyway, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Davis Manor, be sure to see that big magnolia tree that's out front. And nobody's ever touched it as far as trimming it at all. Mm-hmm. And it is the most beautiful thing. Now, what about, Jamie, i got a question for you, sir. I know that, you know, you're a master gardener and you're heavily involved in the master gardener program. Um, and I know that, you know, that you actually kind of got the tomato contest going here in Memphis. But, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've ever received a homegrown tomato from Jamie. Oh, Jamie. Well, so, that's because he gives them to me to give to see, you. See, that was my question. Because they live closer. Oh, so that's it. I had to sell, tell you that because Jamie would have told you if I didn't. But, Jamie, that was my <laughs> question is, I mean, I'm sure that you're not telling me about where you're growing your tomatoes because I'm not getting any of these tomatoes. <laughs> is there a reason behind that? That's all I want to know. Well, there's reason, but uh, it, we, that's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> the ingredient we're using. But anyway, no, I, I, I love them to death, but, and I love the contest we're doing, but I can't grow them very well either. Oh, but, uh, that's funny. I'm yeah, the same but, way. I'll go out and buy them. You know, I'll go to the Red oh, Barn and, and get them <laughs> and let somebody else grow them for me. I just don't have the time or the place to grow them, Jamie, but I just wanted to make sure you wasn't holding out on me. 
Yeah, well, now, you it won't, you can either grow them for 20, $26, $28 a pound, or you go down to the farmer's market and get them for one twenty nine a pound. Yeah. It's up to you. <laughs> you <tell me. laughs> that is so true. But is, but you, you, you kind of miss the fun, though, of growing them when you're spending all that money on them when you're trying to grow them yourself, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And the challenge, too. All right. Thanks, Jamie. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for escorting us to the party, and we'll be right back. Yeah. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And once again, good morning to you, Miss Veda. Good morning. I think it's going to be a pretty day today. Had a little bit of just a sprinkle this yeah. morning. Should I even mention that? No. There's not enough water to even talk about. No. But, you know, I did want to say something really quick about the magnolias. Yeah. Man. Okay, so the I've never flown over memphis or out of memphis when in the day when the magnolias were blooming so coming back from florida getting low enough to see all i could see were in memphis all these white white blooms things in these trees and i'm going there's no way that we don't have that many white crepe myrtles and these blooms are huge was it crepe myrtles or was it it was magnolias but you i could see from the airplane i mean we weren't that close uh, to the ground, obviously. Yeah. You know, where they fly up there <laughs> in Memphis. But I could see all the white blooms all over Memphis, dark green foliage, white blooms. And it was, I had a southern moment. <laughs> so pretty. And so that's y'all what just got to put me, that on your trip. <laughs> but also, Jan Farmer texted in. She said, This is a great read. Uh, mm. The 84 or $64 tomato. Tell me this is not so true. Because we'll spend whatever it takes to have a good... I don't care if I have to get just one tomato. Mm-hmm. i got to get the one, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, the book is The $64 Tomato. is how one man nearly lost his sanity, spent a fortune, and endured an existential crisis in the quest for the perfect garden. It was by William Alexander. And tell me that is not true, though. Uh, okay, so that's a book it's by a William book. Alexander. Yeah, but but the and it, the book is The $64 mm-hmm. Tomato. I am going to have to look that up. I mean, <laughs> we'll have... It might motivate me a little. I mean, we'll do anything. And it's like I said, everything in the garden, I've said this a million times, you know, the okra, the squash, the eggplant, the peppers, everything, Veda, they can all do perfectly fine. But if my tomato plant or plants don't uh, produce like they should, yeah, it was a total failure. I mean, it's like, you know, the other ones are just chopped liver, I guess, these other vegetables, because to me, it all comes down to the tomato. Well, for me, (laughs) I haven't got to, um, (laughs) what am I trying to say? Squash. You know how squash is just a hard thing to grow sometimes because they're always getting that squash vine bore. Big, beautiful foliage, and you see some little baby squash coming along. And then they just collapse. Then there's the bore. So that, to me... Sometimes seemed like more of a challenge than a tomato to me. Well, but I've told people on the on the squash, you know, I would never, ever plant a squash unless I sprinkled these bifenthrin granule, mm-hmm. granules around it. 
Uh, and if you do that, you're going to potentially keep the boars out of the squash, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the thing, that you can you can baby these squash, they get up there, they're halfway grown, and then all of a sudden you get the boars in there. Well, just, you, you know, sprinkle the bifenthrin granules around the squash, or you put it in the whole bed before you plant any of your yeah. vegetables. And you're going to keep most of those boars out of that squash, I'm telling you. And then something (laughs) that I would do as well would be put like beneficial nematodes down. That just adds to the the cycle of your soil. You can use diatomaceous earth also, you know, sprinkled around it. But you're trying because the moth... Is what's laying the, the boars, yeah, the yeah. eggs. So one thing is keep an eye out for moths. And if you can get that cycle right, and this is for somebody who just really loves to do vegetable gardening, if you, if you kind of learn the cycles of things, you can put your netting over, and then you won't the insect have netting. to. Yeah, the insect netting, and you won't know your hair net. Oh, the grow, no. <laughs> the grow cloth, as they call it. Yeah, let's call it that, the yeah. grow cloth. And that will keep um, the butterfly or the moths and all that just actually laying the eggs. And then if you've got the beneficial nematodes in your soil, that can help too. But then if you're not going into that whole thing, buy Finfrin in the garden, yeah, like you said. Yeah, and, and honestly, if people... You know, it's like anything else, Veda. If we knew how many things could go wrong with almost everything mm-hmm. that we plant, we'd never plant it. Yeah, so y'all should be more proud and of that yourself is the truth. than you yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is, especially when it comes to, you know, to edibles. And and think about fruit trees. You know, it, mm-hmm. it just, there it, potentially there's a lot of upkeep uh, to anything we're trying to grow as far as a food product. But like you said, Veda, I mean, pat ourselves on the back from time to time because and a lot of that is, to, is different depending on the weather that we have also. Right, Case right. to point, this year, you know, it was really tough on vegetable gardens because of the extreme hot weather we had. Yeah, like like the lady was asking, did, was right. it me that I did something? No, but not on her tomatoes, absolutely not. Oh, that real quick, though, the barberries we were talking about, the one that I was liking is called Admiration Barberry, the red with the yellow edges. And so many fantastic. beautiful varieties out there now. And then you were talking, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, babe. Oh, you were talking about fruit trees, which then just reminded me, and I couldn't remember exactly which one. Got a new fig in, G Neri. G Neri. How do you spell that? G E N E R I. G Neri. G Neri. It's a small one too, like Miss Figgy. Like no, like little, little Miss, Miss Pig, Figgy. Little Miss Figgy. I like to call her Miss Figgy. For yeah, some but you're reason. right. But it's Little Miss Figgy. Little yeah. Miss Figgy. Which is a dwarf fig tree. Mm-hmm. But there's so many good figs out there. You know, the old Celeste. Yeah. Fig. The brown turkey. The LSU purple, the LSU gold, right. uh, little Miss Figgy, mm-hmm. you know, and now you're seeing this variety Generi, right here. Generi. And the, th- the good thing is, is these small ones you can do in containers or smaller lot lines, you know, so you can get away with, because you know how big fig trees can get. Yep. So. And a lot of people yeah. grow fig trees as an ornamental tree, not really they for do. the figs, yeah. because they love the way the thing looks. Yeah. Uh, and the foliage is beautiful on them. Well, you know, like we had the figs come in and they have figs on the tree. We had some weeping peach come in and there's peaches on the weeping peach trees right now. Well, I'm going to tell you what, if you're doing any fall planting, whether it's the, the barberries you're talking about, mm-hmm. Veda, the calicarpas, uh, you know, the anything, uh, the burning bushes, even the, the figs, uh, there's, you know, we always talk about the root stimulators and we yeah. always talk about the soil amendments, mm-hmm. you know, how you prepare your soil. Uh, you usually add some of these soil amendments to kind of break up our clay soil. There's also two really good products you can add to the soil. Uh, there's the Happy Frog Jumpstart Fertilizer. 
uh, or the espoma biotone mm-hmm. fertilizer. And, th- and, and even if I use those, I still like to come back and use a root stimulator that we were talking about. And I promise you, I mean, this stuff has got calcium, you know, it's got the mycorrhiza in it, it's got the humic acid in it, it's got everything you need. But if you do that, if you dig your hole just as deep, twice as wide, you add your soil amendment, okay, to yeah. our clay soil. So the soil is ready for you to plant your shrub or tree, whatever. But if you're adding things like the Happy Frog Jumpstart or the uh, Espoma Biotone, and you're mixing that in with your soil amendment, and you get the thing planted, and you come back and use a root stimulator like we talked about, Super Thrive, any of those, it's almost impossible for that thing not to make it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is. That's so true. That is so true. Like the... um also, the types of soils and compost and things make the difference as well. And a lot of things. Well, and that's that what I mean by the soil about, amendments. Yeah, yeah. that's. Uh, yeah, kind of said that all backwards. So the. Oh, what am I doing? Okay, what? so anyway, okay, you know what I was doing was reading this while you were talking, and then I just, you know, uh-huh. just got in the middle. Not paying attention the first I thought, time. I busted her. I thought I was hearing what you were saying, and I wasn't. So um, the Earth Mix is one of the varieties that we use, and the Fox Farms is the other varieties. And more people come in, and they're having issues, and I'm like, I'm telling you, this is totally about the soil. They get this, mix the compost in, and come back, and they're like, I actually see growth. I actually see this is working. It truly is amazing. I mean, because like we always say, you know, it, it all starts with the soil, Veda. And, of course, we have to amend our clay soil. we got to create good drainage. I, don't, I mean, you just have to do that. I don't care what else you do. That's the one <laughs> thing that you have to you do. You have to, yeah. But I'm telling you, those two products, the Happy Frog Jumpstart and the Espoma Biotone, uh, and the reason I like the Biotone, is it's very similar to, to plant tone, holly tone, garden tone, tomato tone, all the tone products, except it's got a lot more of the uh-huh. mycorrhiza added to it. Which I is think good like for 50% this. more. So that's good really as starter, as far right? As root development, okay, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So you're adding these organic products to your uh, uh, soil amendments, get everything planted, and then come back and use a root stimulator or super thrive or seaweed or the kangaroo roots. And like I said, I mean, it's just, it's almost impossible for that thing not to thrive. And it's just, it's kind of like plant insurance. You yeah, know, if you, go exactly. out, if you go out and spend, you know, $100 on a camellia or $300 on a Japanese maple, you mm-hmm. know, the last thing, or even $10 on an azalea. Yeah. I don't care. You, the last thing you want is that thing to die on you yeah. because it just didn't get a good jump start yeah. or good head start right yeah i tried we try to have it where every person's leaving with the plant that we're asking do you have the soil amendment and the root stimulator and do you have the proper soil amendment and uh you know if you don't you don't have to be a good at gardening for gardening to be good to you <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And I've uh, got a question, Kenneth. Yeah, Diane Lyons texted in. She said, will DE, diatomaceous earth, hurt earthworms? Well, you know, you, you seem like, it seems like it would because they get on the exoskeleton and they dry things out. But the thing with earthworm castings or earthworms is they have that 
that mucus, that yeah, kind of a slimy. Yeah, that's it, slimy mucus. Yeah, on, on the outside of their little wormy yeah. body. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I mean, if you read about it now, if you had earthworms at ground level and you dumped diatomaceous earth all over them, then yes, it could dry up, you know, their their body, uh, their skin. But typically speaking, diatomaceous earth is safe to use in a garden around and with mm-hmm. earthworms. So, Diane, yeah. good question there, my dear. So we're yeah. good to go with that one. I mean, of course, yes, diatomaceous earth can hurt beneficials as well, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, ladybugs and all. Praying but, mantis or pray, anything else. Yeah. You know, any bug it gets on. Right. So you always are cautious like that. I love it a lot for fleas on animals, you know, because you can dust the animal with it, but you're not having to put and, and, and it's such stuff. a weird name, diatomaceous earth. <laughs> it is it's not an it? earth product at all. I mean, it's it's not dirt. Yeah. It's just, it's a little microscopic skeleton mm-hmm. of a diatom that comes out of the ocean. Yeah. So it's just, if you look under, under a microscope, you see these little bitty skeletons is all it is. But they're so small, it looks like it's just a very white, soft talcum powder. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks it's like. It's so powdery. And you almost have to have a... a applicator because it's so powdery and soft that if you're just trying to sprinkle it out with your hand it's like baby powder No, you, you want know? to wear gloves or you want to get like a little shaker but yeah. a lot of people will use it indoor and outdoor mm-hmm. uh, they'll use it indoor around the baseboards of their like say kitchen if they're having insects come in spiders yeah, or whatever true. up under the sink i mean so it's a very safe product to use uh, but it is a, tell you what, it's a very effective uh, insecticide. It does. It does work great, you know, if you're trying to not use as many synthetics, like a lot of people are allergic to the mm-hmm. ingredients, or, or you're just, you know, choosing to do different things. Um, and then also, it's just social media is so wonderful, or just the fact that we can. It can be. Yeah. I should say maybe not so much the social media, but the things that we can read, Um and get to where we don't there. have to go yep. to the library yep. or have your encyclopedias. Remember when you had your encyclopedias A through Z and that meant anything you need to know in the world was in those books. Yeah, and by the time I started reading the encyclopedias when I was old enough, I mean, the encyclopedias were bought when we were babies. Yeah. So 10, 12 years later, I'm, I'm looking up stuff, and, I'm, and it's outdated yeah. by that time. Right, and you can't just hit refresh. No. You have to buy a whole new set of encyclopedias. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody grew up with them, though. Yeah, but um, what I, I found, oh, so beautiful. Blue, be, blah, I love blue. And there's an Australian blue bee. It's one of the most beautiful wild bees in the world, but it is a solitary species, wild pollinator, and it sleeps in crevices on rocks. But you're not going to find it around here, though. No, but can you imagine finding a beautiful blue But it's funny you said how you love blue. Most people do, Veda, and that's why, you know, to me, they're not that many, if you think about Mm -hmm. it, blue-blooming plants out there. Whether it's annuals uh, or shrubs, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why a lot of people truly gravitate to, let's say, scovola, which has a blue bloom, mm-hmm. Uvulus, which has yeah. a blue bloom, some of the salvia, you know. So because there are not that many out there that naturally bloom that color, yeah. so many people gravitate to the color mm-hmm. of blue. Yeah, because I'll get blue pots. Oh, yeah. Just for that, that bl- bust of blue. There's, you know, now there is, uh, 
We've said there is some annuals like the pansies has a few blues, the petunias. I mean, but we're talking about like. I mean, there's thousands of reds. Thousands well, that's of what I'm saying. Pinks. Most yeah. everything you buy at the garden center is going to have a red or a pink bloom on it. I don't care, you know, what it is. I mean, you can whether it's a petunia and every impatient on down the line, mm-hmm. they're going to have those colors mixed in with it, but not the blues. Yeah, you know, and then the like you know, I was talking about the white uh, colors. You know, blue and white go perfect together. You know True. that you can always sprinkle white in with anything. Well, one of the things that we have out there, Veda, are the white blooming, still limelight, oh, yeah. or panicula paniculata variety hydrangeas mm-hmm. that are in full bloom right now still they're absolutely beautiful and these, these are, are the, the sun ones exactly yeah. those are the ones that grow and they need more sun than shade but i noticed i was taking the dog out yesterday and i noticed that i saw a little few brown petals on the blooms of these hydrangeas and it made me think about okay like we said early in the show you know we've had a few rains come through mm-hmm. things are not quite as dry as they were you know, yeah. a month ago, and I've kind of fallen back on my watering. Well, I know one thing that I've got to do today yeah. is go out there and soak these hydrangeas because it's not time for them to actually start browning out just yet. Right. I can keep these things still vibrant if I keep them hydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, because I see that too. Um, a lot of hydrangeas, the ones in the full sun, have little dark spots yeah. and that was just because it got too dry yeah exactly okay. that yeah. is my fault so you're not having a fungal problem no. you're not having a root problem nope just a little <clears throat> too dry because they're so hardy well and like i said but it, but i'm thinking in my mind that mm-hmm. okay no it's not as you know it, it's not as imperative that i get out there and water because no. it's a little cooler it's not 108 degrees in the shade we've had a little bit of rain uh-huh. But things are still dry. That's why we brought that up in the very first yeah. 10 minutes of the show. So true. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe, maybe, I'm not sure, though, but maybe I might get into orchids more. They're so pretty, oh, but they seem so hard to do. They're not. I have a great orchid book that I was just kind of scanning through. And we take care of orchids at work, you know, but we we water them and then somebody's buying them quickly. But I'm wanting to have them bloom again. Beta, what you said was so true. So many people, just because they look so delicate, mm-hmm. that they are afraid to even attempt to grow one of these yeah. things. And I remember telling you at the beginning of this year, my wife bought a phalaenopsis, you know, some outlet, okay? And it was a big white blooming phalaenopsis, which is an orchid, of course. And this thing bloomed, I promise you, for four to five months. Mm. I, I didn't had no idea these things would bloom that long. It was artificial. No, it was not. <laughs> and she would take it out of the container that it came in and put it in a little Tupperware pot that had water in it and soak it. Okay. And let it drip, drain, and then uh-huh. put it back in the little decorative pot that it came in. And she did that once a week. Right. And it just sat on the kitchen table, had an Easter, East, eastern-facing window. Uh, that, so it got good light, Veda. But I'm telling you, mm-hmm. one of the easiest things you could ever grow, not that expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them can be. Yeah. If, you, if you get way up in the... You know, the rare orchids. Yeah, Yeah, but I'm talking about just the old-fashioned little phalaenopsis Mm -hmm. that you buy. But I'm telling you, for something that can bloom, in this case, five months, beautiful blooms, you can't beat it. Oh, I know. If you get them, uh, because, of course, if you purchase them right when they started blooming or getting ready to bloom, Mm -hmm. you do have a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I want to get them to re-bloom. Um 
And so one of the things, and basically what you just said, one thing is nobody fertilizes orchids enough is one thing. <clears throat> like you said, or they recommend every two weeks. Mm-hmm. She was fertilizing every two weeks. Isn't that what you said? No, every week. Because she, she would feed them. Yeah. Uh, she had a little water-soluble plant food that she'd put in the water when she mm-hmm. soaked the roots in this solution before she yeah. put it back in the pot that didn't drain, uh-huh. you know, the decorative yeah. pot that it came in. But oh. I'm telling you, it was just, it, it, it blew me away how long this thing kept blooming. Now, it was it would still produce at the bottom of the stem, more buds and more blooms. It's not like one bloom lasted so for five kept, months. It just kept, it just kept kind of working its way down. It sure did. Yeah. See, they love humidity. That's one. Um, and they like it to stay moist, wet. And they need fertilization more often. And they like dry winters, which is easy because indoors it's dry. <laughs> now, one thing that she hadn't done uh-huh. is after they bloom, she's always either, she's got uh, a doctor friend that she just gives them to because mm-hmm. he grows orchids. She's never tried to keep one to get it to rebloom. That's what I want to do. You know? I want to start get them to rebloom so because I, I can buy one and bloom and fertilize it and keep it. Yeah, but how much patience do you have to have? And you got to have places to put yeah, these things to get them. And it could take you know months for this uh-huh. thing starts to rebloom. Right, right. Because because me, I'm going to set it somewhere. But you know they have beautiful foliage and you can interplant it. See, I'm throwing that thing in the compost pile. I heard pile. that yeah. too. All right, y'all. Listen to our podcast in case you missed anything. And Kenneth and I will see you next Saturday in the garden.